Hello and welcome to the TetraCast. I am your host, Brian Vitale, and joining me today are James Galizio. Hello. Adam Vitale. Hey, guys. And rejoining the cast is Josh Torres. Hey, everyone. It's been a while. Uh, just been busy and finally got the chance to hop on. And you'll have the chance to talk a little bit about what you've been able to see in the last uh, month in terms of RPGs and things you've been interested in. So this is our fourth and cast you were for the year. last week. Oh, yeah. This is our fourth cast for the year, which I just think is interesting to point out because we were talking about doing this maybe once a month, but we decided, no, we're going hard. We're doing it weekly. So this is our fourth time within a month. So uh, it's February. It's a little bit of a quieter month for releases, but there's still plenty of stuff to talk about. Uh, we've got actually Already a pretty February. long list. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's weird Jan January felt super long, uh, but also it feels like it's already February. It's kind of weird how time, depending on your perspective, can be either like excruciatingly lengthy or it can just feel like it can pass in an instant. So as always, we're going to talk about a little bit of what we've been playing. Despite it being a slower start to the year, we've all had a little bit of time to go into our backlog or touch on the more lower level releases that have come out before we get into the early spring window where some of the heavy hitters start landing. Uh, I guess we'll just start with Josh, since you're back on the cast. You've got uh, quite a few things listed here that you've been uh, putting some time into over the last, I guess I'll say, just a month or so. Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, I'll let you have your pick of your list of what you've been sure, going after. Sure. Like uh, I've been, I've been kind of in and out uh, lately. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I went to the, the debut of the near orchestra concert tour that they're having. They had one. Um, a few weeks ago of kicking off in Chicago. That's where I was at. Um, they had one recently in London and in Los Angeles. And I think later on in the year, they're going to have uh, a few in uh, Japan as well, like in Osaka, I believe, and I, one other uh, place. But it was uh, it was great. I, I stayed with a, a friend uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, it was about a two-hour drive there. It was great. Uh, I had to pretty much uh, pack up uh, to to battle the the weather there, like a lot of my Christmas gifts was just, um, hey, give me something that I don't freeze to death over there because I'm from Southern California, and you know Wisconsin Chicago and weather. You're in Chicago in the January. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it was very very cold, snow everywhere, but uh, you know it was it was a great time because it was, it was my first time both in Wisconsin and Chicago, uh, and it was it was wild to see, you know, like uh, experienced a lot. I think one one of my one of the one of the very fun things uh, before I went to the concert was there's this um, local arcade in uh, Madison where uh, you just pay fifteen dollars and it's free play for all machines the the rest of the day. So it was we were me and my friends were there for a good amount of hours. I spent a lot of time on pinball. I love the Willy Wonka machine. I, like it was my first time playing it, and it was just. <laughs> Absolute beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I played some of the more recent Black Knight tables, and um, th I think the coolest thing at this uh, local arcade, I think it was called Geeks Mania, was uh, if you remember the old six-player X-Men uh, arcade game where it was an absolute monstrosity of like people have to huddle together. You had like a full party and whatnot. I don't so, oh, remember like that a, one. A brawler? It, it was like side yeah, it was a brawler. brawler. Yeah, it was a side-scroller brawler. So you had like Wolverine, Cyclops, Colossus, Nightcrawler. Um, uh, I, I forgot the other two. And um, what they actually did instead of like a, a single cab with six setups, uh, you know, huddled together on it, is they had it uh, like a dual projector, uh, wide ultra wide screen, 
and then they had six different separate stations kind of like uh like an o- like an oval shape at the top so it's kind of like you have like your own battle station uh like uh formatted like a half circle around the dual projector that it's it was beautiful it was a lot of fun since it was free play you could we actually just played the whole game through and the x-men arcade game was infamous back in the day of just eating up quarters because your special move in that game actually uh drains health and you can only do it like maybe two times before it just drains all your health and then the next hit would like kill you and then you have to pop in another quarter uh, back in the day to get another life and it was just it, it was stupidly unfair it's it, it's it's not i'm not gonna say it's like an amazing game but it's you know it's the it progenitor fun. of pay to win you just put in quarters so you well, can keep well, that's that's super. arcade that's our look <laughs> oh there, there you go Sorry, games <laughs> yep but that was that was awesome um we went to chicago um on chinese new year when the uh, concert took place. Uh, we headed down to Chinatown uh, first uh, before making our way to the Rosemont Theater. Uh, it was very cool. Uh, it was it, it was a shame because we couldn't. One, it was too much traffic to get around anywhere, so we couldn't really get it around anywhere fun around Chicago. Uh, and and two, since it was like super foggy and whatnot that day, we couldn't even like go to that um, tower that overlooks the city. So I mean, if you went if you went there. Um, you wouldn't see anything. Uh, what, it, what we did go to uh, before the Rosemont Theater was uh, this uh, place called the Sugar Factory. You know, it's a, it's a nice like uh, joint uh, where a lot of celebrities have been. A lot of you know sweets and ice cream and whatnot. And even has like a like a dinner menu. Uh, one of the weird things they had was these insane milkshakes. And like we were like flipping through them, we're like what the hell is this? And then one of these shakes has like a full on cheeseburger at the top, like where the straws would be. <laughs> Uh, so th- these are the shakes that are like designed for Instagram. Like they're not meant to like yeah, pretty much other right? than like, just you know something like, that you post and share around and you know get people to come in. Like, exactly. Like you, you should probably consume these, uh, you know, for your own good. Maybe have one of them once in your lifetime, and that's it. Um, I didn't do it because I wasn't brave enough. I was like, I don't want to feel like shit when going to the fucking you know theater and whatnot. But yeah, I saw how much uh, excitement there was for these concerts, and I think right away within a, within a few maybe I want to say days, but it might have been less than that of the original announcement, or, or they added the second showing to like, yeah. multiple locations, and then yeah. obviously that franchise, especially Automata or Automata, uh, has you know touched a lot of people in a very personal way and in a very emotive way. So a lot of people absolutely, have, you know, and and the music is obviously a big driver of that. So it seems I wouldn't like kind be going of a perfect out, combination. Yeah. Before before the second showings and the and the much more nearby Los Angeles showing was even like you know announced or anything like, I uh, me and my friends ordered like a somehow ordered a VIP ticket when uh, tickets show uh, you know first went live. Uh, for the Chicago showing, and those were gone within less than ten minutes, uh, and it was hard getting in in the first place. <clears throat> so, uh, luckily, I had a VIP seat there, just front and center, and in front of there, they, uh, it was Arnie Roth uh, working with the uh, orchestral, you know, uh, band that uh, was performing at the Rosemont Theater that night. They had uh, Keiichi Okabe, which is the main composer of the New Year, New Year series there, and then uh, after uh, all was said and done. They had uh, Yosuke Saito, which is the producer of the series, and uh, Yoko Taro, the creative director of the series, out there. Um, it was it was packed. Like we we went into the lobby, and the merchandise, the, the line for merchandise, were just 
it literally like did like a like a pretzel shape around the main lobby to even like start even going to like the where you can purchase the items. Luckily, I had a really you know nice friend who was you know offered to stay in line while you know me and other friends went in oh, to, nice. to not, not not miss the beginning of the concert because it definitely cut into the beginning and whatnot. The only thing I was really limited to the concerts that I I believe are the were the shirts for just the orchestra uh, shirts and whatnot. And that, that's that was a lot of fun. Uh, there was definitely a lot of crying around where I was sitting at. A lot of people uh, tearing up. You hear a little bit of sobbing here and there. I definitely uh, you know teared up a little bit when um, Emmy Evans came out uh, to go perform Kainé's theme. Uh, it, it before the intermission, it was all uh, near replicant, which is the the version that never got localized here. The the version that got localized here was near Gestalt, and the only the difference between Gestalt and replicant is that the 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 agent main protagonist in their design. So in Gestalt, the one that came here west, you had uh, Yona's father uh, instead of Yona's brother. Yona's brother is in the replicant version. That's all it really changes. Well, the, the music's thing. the same, right? Yes, the music is exactly. So the same. it's just like the visuals they were showing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so like yeah, I, I near uh, near the original is one of those games where I hear people speak so highly of it, even if they are critical about certain aspects of it. They're like, yeah, mm-hmm. it has some weird design decision, or there's some areas where it kind of feels like unpolished or clunky, but it's still worth playing. It's like that's the, that's the kind of the overwhelming kind of I want to say consensus on it. So I really like. There's been a lot of, I think, fervor for some sort of remaster. Of well, just sort. to maybe bounce off of that idea, um, right around the times the concerts were announced late last year, mm-hmm. they did Square Enix did open the 10th anniversary near website. Yes. And there's we don't know really anything what the website is or will show. It all it really has is like a link to the other two game websites and like the concert schedule and merchandise. I think. Yeah, that's all. Awesome. Um, but. What I, I don't know if there's any credence to this or if it's just something that a lot of people want, which it's true. I don't know if it'll happen. But one thing it seems like a lot of people hope happens is some sort of re-release or remaster of the original Nier um, on PS4, on P, on Steam. You know, just mm-hmm. right now you can only play it on Xbox or it's on yes. Xbox, right? Xbox yeah, or PlayStation PC. 3. Uh, and it's just kind of stuck there. So, and not not only that, but you have the the split that Josh mentioned, where only one version yes. is available localized when there's two yeah. in total. Yeah, it it's it, it's a bit that's a bit complicated. I imagine, like I, I'm sure a lot of people behind the scenes want wanted to happen, but how you go about it would be interesting, I guess. The weird thing also yeah. is that the original developer Cavia doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, exactly. not that they have to be around to do a remaster, but I'm sure it doesn't make things any easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you can't just always look two generations back and say, "I want all of my favorite games to be remastered." That's just not feasible. But I do think that this is one that I think a lot of people would obviously, you know, kind of go back to since uh, Automata was such a big success, and go back to the one that they haven't had a chance of playing. And I'm in that boat exactly. So. Yeah. All right. And then when Josh mentioned sobbing at uh, a concert, well, not sobbing, <laughs> but tearing up, it just reminds yeah. me about, I feel so bad that I, the last uh, video game orchestra concert that I attended was the Final Fantasy VII one at E3. And it was just oh. really <sighs> underwhelming. And, and I wrote about it up on the, on, uh, on the main site. 
but it was I obviously I've gone to I think a lot of us here have gone to different concerts whether it was Distant Worlds or the Kingdom Hearts Orchestra and had a lot of fun then obviously for the incoming Final Fantasy remake they have these the one based on music from Final Fantasy 7 and it's just it wasn't good so uh hopefully that was just you know kind of a, a one that's not indicative of the general quality of those sorts of programs it's just kind of a i don't know a low-hanging fruit compared to the quality that's put out from the other and then the actually other interesting note on, on that too is like <clears throat> since rd roth was there rd roth uh, if people don't know is kind of the one of the main uh composers when it comes to like square edix orchestras all around like he's done distant worlds he's done you know all the all that other stuff but he's definitely one of the mainstay mainstays when it comes to just general Square Enix concerts uh, around the world. I, I so, haven't gone yeah. to a lot of them, but I'm pretty sure he was on stage for all three yes. that I've been to. One Kingdom Hearts, yeah. one Final Fantasy, and one, or mm-hmm. I guess one Final Fantasy Seven and one Distant Worlds, which is kind of all of them. But yeah, so obviously that guy is passionate about the series, and uh, I do think that he is a good, I don't know, kind of figurehead. For yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that it whole, seems like he had a lot of project. fun at the year one. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of cool also the near automata segment after the intermission for that concert because they they brought on like a lot of songs that you didn't think you'd hear there um you had the tower you had uh dark colossus actually as the encore to close it out it was it was a lot of like interesting um like picks that i would have thought to hear live like i think they also had alien manifestation and you don't really hear that track all that often in the main game because that period was so short in the main game but um, and it's it's sometimes it's um you don't expect at least i i didn't know I, I didn't go to the near concert but sometimes there are certain tracks that like when you hear them from an orchestra live like you just sometimes like certain tracks just work way better for that that Absolutely. you maybe not you maybe not think of it immediately when you think of like your favorite tracks from a game um uh one one that comes to mind was uh the that in uh, this is a little bit of a uh of a change of topic here but when i went to the distant worlds concert they did they did uh the fiend battle from final fantasy 4 oh okay and and like it's kind of like a uh, i'm not gonna like sing it or anything but it's not it's not really like a very musical oh, track really it's more of a <laughs> it's more of a it's more a of just track. like a uh a, a tense sort of track but like the way the orchestra like it was arranged and played it was very very exciting <clears throat> It's just, it's just cool well, to obviously, see that, hear that. Yeah, some of the songs that are we're most nostalgic for, obviously, we tether to what's going on in the game at the time, whether it's a dramatic moment or a boss fight or whatever. And then when it's in the orchestra, you can kind of split the difference, or that's not the right saying. You can split, like, you can divorce it from what's going on in the actual video game project, which makes some uh, tracks might be able to kind of elevate out of not having to, even mm-hmm. though they're not attached to maybe a specifically memorable moment, you can just kind of enjoy the track for what it is kind of in a more pure form. Yeah, and it was uh, just like uh, amazing to 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 witness it. After that, we did the VIP signings, and so they had a whole meet and greet of uh, with uh, Taro, Saito, Akabe, Evans, and Roth, and whatnot. You can you can have them uh, sign, uh, you know, a piece of merch each one. So like people already like trying to decide like how they were gonna like, divide divide up signatures and whatnot. Um, it was it was funny to see what kind of merch was in that uh, people had on them. Like I, I saw like a uh, one lady have like an original like PS2 box copy of Dragon Guard One, 
just like ready to go i'm like whoa yeah. what the fuck <laughs> like it, it was pretty cool to see like my my, my picks were a, a bit unconventional as well i had um taro and okabe sign my uh original soundtrack of sino alice which is an unlocalized uh, mobile game that uh didn't come out here it was supposed to come out here last year from nexon but did something happen at nexon to have it be infinitely delayed like two days before launch so that was it still is kind of a weird yeah thing. that's, that's yeah, it's, it's not outright canceled it's just indefinitely delayed which is in yeah. some cases no different exactly and i also ha- had um uh, a blu-ray for the one of the original near music uh concert and talk live from japan that i had the rest sign uh one of my for, for some reason one of my friends was not even like a big near fan got vip tickets so i i also had like a box copy of the vps3 uh version of a uh, near gestalt that was localized so i had so i actually just capitalized and doubled up on signatures by having him get my copy signed and whatnot yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I got the good word out there when I met uh, uh, Taro and Saito. I, I mentioned, you know, Dragon Guard 4 or in Japan, Dragon Dragoon 4, you know. And like, mm-hmm. and Taro's like, ah, Square Enix. And, Taro, and Saito's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and whatnot. Uh, and so it, it was it was awesome to see. I got to briefly speak with Evans and Roth uh, at, the, at the end of the meet and greet table while they were still trying to uh, hook things up and whatnot with another person. So it's uh, it was cool. One of my uh, friends was actually a genius, and he got his. Uh, if you remember, uh, I forgot if it was like a year or two ago at the Square Enix store merch. They had like the little automata robots that were the yeah. battery. Yeah, they had like little figures of them. He got all all five of them to sign that. Like, and he reserved like the the forehead at the very top for Taro to sign. It's oh. Like he basically mentioned, like Taro has to sign this one. Anyone else can sign anywhere. You know. And, and and when Evans got that, she was like cracking up. She's like, "Oh my god, how am I gonna sign?" Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a magical experience. I I'm so glad I I went. Like, even even if I even when they announced the Los Angeles uh, concert, I was like, I'm still gonna go halfway across the country because I wanna. Because the Chicago one was the first showing, right? And the Chicago, yeah, Chicago one was the first one. I I, I was there like you know half for the concert. Well, maybe forty percent for the concert, and the rest for hanging out with friends I don't get to see often and whatnot and just being in a different environment just uh right getting to play, go to some place you hadn't gone before yeah just just take a like a whole week vacation just you know get, get away from everything at the start of the decade um yeah, yeah. so, and so then, beyond the uh the near concert like what have you been playing this week like and when since I guess before or after you came back from that have you been playing Sinnoh Alice or what else have you been? Uh, no, I don't. I, I don't play Sino Alice. I I, I keep with Sino Alice as insofar as if, if they have collaboration news, like when they had like uh, collaboration with Code Geass or Space Invaders and whatnot. But I don't actually play it. It's it's a definitely a difficult game to to play if you're not in Japan. Um, but for other games that I've been checking out, um, one of the most recent games that came out on mobile is this game, little game called Arc Knights, and this came around six to seven months ago in China and whatnot. And I, I've been kind of bouncing in and off of it. I, I don't know if it's necessarily for me, but it's definitely an interesting, noteworthy take uh, on this because the, the gameplay is purely tower defense. It's definitely, you know, obtaining characters, whether the story or the gacha in it and whatnot. And you, you build these characters up. Uh, you, you raise their levels, you promote them, you unlock their skills and whatnot. And uh, you, you place them out on the, on the field uh, as you know waves uh, come by 
And there's a, definitely a resource management aspect to it where throughout through some battles, you'll obtain resources passively with this meter going up and as you obtain points, or there'll be challenge battles where like you, you're not obtaining um, points to like passively, you have to use specific units that like on each skill use, they'll give you points and whatnot to, to, to deploy more units. And it's it's is, it, is Arcanine an original it. IP or is it based on like uh, any sort of like a uh, show or like what is it? Just I believe more, it's a, I believe it's level. an original IP. Uh, I know the people who published it here. I'm not sure if they published it in uh, China, but the Yostar is the one who's publishing it, and they're the ones who also uh, are the ones behind uh, Azure Lane. I believe was the name of the game um, and i and there's i know there's going to be some art like rpg coming out soon for it for ps4 and steam and whatnot um but i'm not really too familiar with that but th this is cool because it's a lot it, it may seem kind of daunting for people who are like oh it has a gotcha you know only the best units can hang it's like it's actually not so much that a lot of people run like low rarity units in it and uh, like characters that you obtain through the story and just like general characters you can um just easily obtained because they're they're cheaper to level up and it's definitely more team building and team synergy over like oh i have an op unit i can beat any stage and whatnot like the, the, there are diff different classes where you have like uh say defenders who'll hold off waves by themselves uh vanguards who are very cheap to deploy out from the get-go uh so like they're very early game units that uh generate those po even more points for you to uh, spend on other higher units. You have like snipers, spellcasters that are good against armored enemies, uh, and so on. Like I think one of my favorite units when I was playing was this uh, specialist called Shaw, and Shaw is a very e easily obtainable unit. Uh, and her special uh, ability that no one else in the game has is just to push people. So a lot. So one of the harder maps in it is there are these pits. Like at the top row of the stage, and one of like the one of the best strategies for that stage is, hey, why don't you deploy Shaw where they you know spawn up, and she'll push them into that pit, instantly killing them. And you don't even need to level her, her like actual you know base level up, but if you level her skill up, she'll push them farther in, and whatnot. So they're just different interesting strategies like that, and how you route enemies, where you can place obstacles for uh, stages that allow that. And uh, this is all on top of another system where. They have the Fallout 76 and XCOM like ant farm uh, base management in it as well. And it's it's a very deep strategic game that uh, honestly, I think it's a little bit time consuming. So it's hard for me to fit into my schedule, but uh, other people might like, you might be looking for like, hey, I want a good tower defense. Like, uh, you know, and t there's not many new tower defenses going up these days. And this is like a, a really cool one because it has an RPG aspect to it and a lot of other systems that surround it. So if like you're looking for an uh, like a tower defense, this might be one worth giving a shot. It's just free, uh, free to download, you know, and what and you don't even have to like put money into it. Like you, it's easy enough to generate resources in it. They actually have an interesting separate system where you can recruit new characters by like tags that they give you. So the like say, oh, I want like an operator or a character that's like a caster or a defender, and they do AOE damage. And then you can select those tags, and then set like a, a time limit on the on how like the rarity of what character you want. So if you want higher rarities, you'll go to the max limit of nine hours. You wait nine hours, you click on that, and then see what what character 
you you recruit and that's not even using gotcha currency that's just currency you earn in the game so it's it's kind of an interesting way to go about some of these like uh predatory traps which you know by its very na- nature gotcha is predatory but it, it at least gives you the feeling that like you're not being taken right it's, it's always nice to see like how they kind of bend or kind of soften the rules yeah. so it doesn't feel quite as punishing like, and then i can't speak one to other the, things to the yeah I can't speak to like the the Mobage style in itself, but when you mentioned earlier about that one character who had the ability to shove other units, I do think it's really cool when you see these like tactical based games allow kind of like these more low level strategies still be viable even like late Mm -hmm. in the game. Where when you mentioned that, I immediately thought of two different things. I thought of playing a game like Final Fantasy Tactics where you push people off of high ledges and let them take Mm -hmm. damage from the fall damage. Or I think of like Fire Emblem when you're pushing a unit to be like out of range of a dragon or, or whatever like that. So it's always kind of interesting to see like how certain little small low level positioning and things like that don't get completely invalidated just by being a super rare unit or super high level or have a super you know high amount of HP or whatever. So it's always interesting to kind of see little tactics like that still be like, you, you should use this unit because they have this ability, which ends up being useful throughout the game. So I always do think that's kind of an interesting kind of concept to think about and stay balanced when you're designing a game. So well, yeah, one of the things I hate when I play mobile games is that they constantly bug you or even bug you in the first place about hey you should probably like buy like you know something here or if you want to like buy a subscription patch here or more currency here and whatnot so it's kind of a shame that when we get into the news that another bit a a big game has done this uh on its third anniversary but you know we'll get there when we get there and another game probably already know what it's talking about what else have you been playing this last month you sound like you're just about to segue into it yeah, I've also been uh, I've been on and off on uh, Dragalia Lost, which is the Nintendo's and Side Games collaboration mobile game with Side Games developing Nintendo publishing overseas and whatnot. It, it's still a really fun action RPG. I still really enjoy it. Uh, they just recently kicked off um, a few weeks ago their Monster Hunter collaboration, which is a very nice fit for that game because a lot of the end game in Dragalia Lost is about you know fighting hunting off dragons. yes exactly hunting dragons. Huh? hunting these high-end dragons and whatnot. And the really cool thing about this uh, collaboration is it's it's kind of like an old-timer veteran Monster Hunter. Because uh, the final boss end. is uh, Fatalis, who is the final boss, uh, well, the final online boss for Monster Hunter 1. Yeah, it, it's 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 catered to uh, people, uh, fans pre-World and Iceborne and whatnot. So they have a lot of little touches in there, like uh, James mentioned, they have the Fatalis in there. They have Dread King Rathalos in there, which, which is one is of them. Which is from uh, Generations Ultimate. Yeah. yeah. So, and there's a lot of good, nice callbacks. This actually has like, a full featured story, and they make a lot of like uh, winks and nods. It's just a, a standard, like, you know, like uh, Isekai Another World story of like these Monster Hunter crew, uh, crew like, kind of uh, ended up in Dragalia Lost's world. And, but the, say, in like one of the story segments, they're hunting Rathalos. And they're and they actually like throw a paintball towards Rathalos to not like lose its tracking, kind of like a wink and nod. To like oh, it's like oh, you want to like uh, make sure to track these, or else it'll be impossible to find, you know, <laughs> and whatnot. Which just you know, feel feels very true to what Monster Hunter used to be. If you weren't uh, used to yeah. where monsters tend to end up, before Iceborne, when they had when they added the scout flies, you either had to follow the shadow of the monster as it's going across areas. And you basically have to know, okay, if it flies this way, if it's shadow, it's going to this area. Or you have to throw a paintball so it'll show up on the little mini-map yeah. in the upper right corner of the screen. It, it, it feels 
archaic talk about it these days. It just it's weird because it's one of those things that if you played a lot of it back then, it's like it it was always second nature. But now that we have scout flies, it's like oh. Remember when you could the real strat of like finding the uh, the uh, the hot air balloon and using the wave emote at it so you could get Mm. like no like notification where the monster's at. And I like how we finally had the prospect of not speaking about Monster Hunter in a Tetracast because we've been talking about Iceborne the last couple of weeks, but now we're just speaking about it in a different context because it's in your uh, Dragalia Lost collaboration. Mm-hmm. And as someone who didn't join the series until Iceborne, so I'm kind of one of those you know casual new people that have joined the series only recently. It's like it's oh, always Rathalos a good time to is actually uh, uh, pretty well traveled. He's in Smash Bros. Now he's in this uh, Dragalia Lost mobile game, and he they actually yeah. what was the running game joke from- is. The running joke is that the Rathalos that's in all the collaborations is just the same Rathalos and it keeps getting lost. Well, it's I kind of like one it. of those series icons where it's like, I haven't been paying attention to, but it's like, oh, it's actually kind of like pretty damn iconic. And maybe that's obvious, but as someone who just kind of came in late, it's like you start to notice all these places he's popping up or like that game a few years ago, that My Story game. I don't know if that was a mobile game or a, a DS game, but it was kind of the story-based Wait, Monster Hunter game. I don't remember what it was. Monster Hunter stories. stories. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. Monster. So. Uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's that was kind of like a Pokemon. See, like, yeah, all it's, these it's different still... places that they kind of show up in these collaborations and these different types of genres that aren't all just the base, you know, Monster Hunter series. And another cool thing about the collaboration is that, you know, it's, it's a gacha game. So it has like these special limited units uh, where they have like uh, characters that exist within the game, but dressed up in Monster Hunter. So you have... One of their characters is Berserker, and he's dressed up full, full from top to bottom, all in Rathalos gear. Uh, Vanessa has the female uh, Kieran armor on her, and one, one of the favorite uh, favorites in Dragalia Lost, her name is Cerise, and she came in part two of the event, and she's uh, decked out in I think Mizutsune armor, and it's not only like limited to just like appearances, like the the very way they play is very faithful to like how. Um, they, like you know, you used to play in Monster uh, Monster Hunter Four World, um, so like they, they didn't even adhere, adhere to the mechanics of Dragalia Loss, like uh, this uh, Berserker in Rathalos armor. Um, there's this uh, mechanic called Force Strike in the game where you hold down the button and you'll do a more um, powerful strike, uh, and you know you, you'll do more damage if they're like a, a, a monster or enemies like in a guarded state called Overdrive, and so. For normal sword users in that game, it's a it's a just a normal, like you know, uh, they hit harder with their sword, and it's a there's nothing really to it. But with uh, Berserker and Rathalos armor, if you do this force strike, it has like three charges, I believe, two or three charges that can do, uh, go up, and then it'll, it'll actually do like that whole uh, big swing. I forgot what it's called in the Monster Hunter games, like maybe true charge slash. I'm not too sure. It has like a like it unleashes like a wave in front of him, so it's like treated more of like as like a ranged unit, uh, oddly enough, because he has that ability and that ability alone. Meanwhile, um, like say Vanessa and Kieran armor has like the lancer thing where she can like guard point and then like move up, uh, which no, you can't really you can't do that with any other unit in the game, which is you know really cool if like you roll them, but if you don't, well, you know, hopefully you. Yeah, pretty much, right? So that the that, that's the the big, like you know, 
pro and con to it. Uh, there's a lot of, but it's like a, one of those really cool events that like everything you see is something you recognize. And it's like, I get that. I get that. <laughs> so it, 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 that's a lot of fun. In my opinion, like Dragalia has been really good about their collaboration events, like in general. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, they're okay. I think, though, the one thing. The one collaboration I didn't like was a few months ago with Mega Man 2, which is, it, it was, you know, fairly bare bones compared to the Fire Emblem Heroes one before it and the Monster Hunter collab we have now. It was okay because you got Monster, uh, you know, Mega Man as a as a unit, but like the actual event itself and how it was laid out, it, was, it just, you know, it wasn't really that flashy. Yeah, or basic. Yeah, but it, it's, still, it's still a really fun game. I still enjoy it a lot. It's... Probably my main mobile game, and I had time to play one. Um, but switching over from you know playing on the phone to you know playing on a real console, the inverse here is I've been I've started dabbling into Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, and that recently came out in Japan and uh, Southeast Asian territories uh, just a few days ago. Um, the Southeast Asian territories version, the Region Three version has the full English sub and full English dub in it. So, I mean, if you're in... Yeah, you weren't here play... uh, You weren't here last week, but obviously mm-hmm. we were talking about the announcement where XSEED mentioned the uh, Western release being in March. Release date. And yeah. we were actually mm-hmm. talking about, like, if only Josh was here, because he would have stuff to say about this. Uh, so obviously you've been playing the uh, the Southeast Asian version or Hong Kong, one of those versions where it has yeah. the English yeah, already but... uh, included, mm-hmm. and you've been sharing it on, on your Twitter account and things like that. So we wanted yeah. to hear, like, directly, like, what you think about... Because obviously you have some experience. I don't know exactly how much with the with the Grand Blue Fantasy. Uh, yeah, I, I played fighting games. I played a first... little bit of Grand Blue. Uh, yeah, this is first, uh, you know, debut on like a proper console outside. It's the the browser smartphone game, uh, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of fun learning and seeing like you know how these characters have made the the transition to the to the console space because you see a lot of the great artwork in the smart the browser game and whatnot when you roll them you have all, all these uh this fantastic artwork and when you uncount their level it just adds on and on more to it but when you get to the actual game itself and you know through battles they have this chibi model which like they have some really nice touches like you know animation wise how they attack and their win pose and whatnot but you, you when you see these characters you really want to see them fully modeled and that's what right. uh, you know versus brings. It has uh, like you know all, all their different moves finally just fully animated and whatnot. And it's it's a really more bigger package than I expected because this also has the RPG mode. And I've been playing a little bit of that with the English dub on because I'm I, I I'm not I'm not so far into Grand Blue that like I can't. I can't dissociate these uh, characters with the original Japanese voices. I can totally understand why people would only prefer the Japanese voices here, but I want to hear, you know, but like, what's the English take on it? And yeah, so sometimes far, it's, been... it's nice just to hear the interpretation, even if it's something you, yeah. you, know, you might not feel or gel with directly. Like, I wonder how they interpreted this in an English voice or things like that. Mm-hmm. So, that, do you think this game is more suited for uh, Grand Blue fans or fighting fans or both? Because you're kind of you kind of landed both camps, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't want to speak for yeah. You. I think it's it's definitely for both, and it's also for newcomers. Also, strangely enough, because how RPG mode is laid out is, it'll it's it doesn't take it's not a recap of what happened at the beginning of Grand Blue. It has it's kind of a more side story angle where 
something happened to one of the main crew that caused her to go against them. And then there, there, there's a very brief recap. It's like, oh, we used to like, I don't know what happened to her. We we set off on this journey, you know, to go find the end of the sky and whatnot. And you know, but the, the main Grand Blue story is the Grand, the main character, received a letter from his dad, and he wants to go find his dad. And the way the Grand Blue's world is structured is, uh, they travel by airship to all these different islands floating in the sky and whatnot. And that that's the the very core basic story. And there, there's like always new wrinkles and events in the game along the way. You have this all this whole diverse cast filled with different places, races, and whatnot. And it it doesn't. I didn't feel too out of place because I'm not even that far the Grand Blue story myself in the main game. And I watched uh, season one of the anime. I didn't do season two yet. As just just to get like a, a a basis of like, okay, will I be totally lost if I just committed to this blind and even even as like a very casual Grand Blue fan, I don't feel too lost with it because like they do a good job introducing the the main cast and who they are. Of course, you won't have the emotional attachment with them that other more veteran Grand Blue uh, people have, but I don't I don't feel necessarily lost right now. the The story is simple enough. Uh, you you're kind of trying to find out exactly what's going on with. Uh, characters that are acting strangely towards you of course there's probably some evil force behind it and the rpg mode is laid out like a side scroller where you travel from left to right uh at the at the screen while beating enemies along the way it's a lot like vanilla rare with uh, muramasa and odin spear of course not as like as flashy as muramasa it's a lot more grounded but you have like you know your four skills you can uh you, you can upgrade like weapons it has it has the infamous weapon grid system from the base game, where you have this main hand weapon, then you have like nine different other weapon slots that'll somehow augment like your abilities and skills and stats and whatnot. I don't necessarily understand all that. It's a, but it's okay because they have an auto select option if you don't want to really try to too much optimize. Just like just good enough, uh, and that's it's it's cool. Like the it's it feels. It feels meaty. Like I don't feel that RPG mode was just tacked on. Like I, I intend to play a lot more of it uh, this weekend and getting more into it. But it doesn't feel like a throwaway mode. There's, it seems like there's a good, a good chunk here for single player RPG fans. I'm not sure exactly if you'll get like 30 hours out of it. My, my guess right now is maybe, maybe you'll get 10 hours or so. Um, but you, there's also just like the game. There's a gotcha system, but it doesn't use any real money to, or like you know uh, to, to feed it. There's uh, there's in-game currency. You get like these draw tickets for completing missions in there, and all they give you is a weapons for that RPG mode. And sometimes those weapons um, have a unique skin uh, where you can change the appearance of your weapons in battle, and that and that cosmetic only thing can be applied to other modes outside of the RPG mode. And whatnot. So, so it's I like think the that's Xenoblade Two core system. Only I a guess little, that's not, yeah, yeah. That's, but the in-game that's, currency that's, that's, where, you have, where instead yes. of tickets you get the cores or whatever. So you wouldn't think right. of, like as a, as a, someone who's an RPG fan but not really a fighting game fan, you think the RPG mode is solid and you know well made, but it's not. It's not a highlight. It's not the. Uh, it's I, not I, the I, yeah, I don't. Game, it's, it's yeah. It's not. It's not like the the base game uh, of course because it's like it's a, it's an action game it's not turn based like the uh browser version of the of the game but it i i don't know if it's 
I, I don't know if this game can stand alone as just if you're only there for the RPG mode because obviously there, there's a hard mode in it and I'm sure you're gonna like have to grind and optimize like, you know your weapon grids and whatnot to, to get through it. There's also online co-op with one other person to help you out in battle. And that's cool. I just don't know as an RPG only thing alone that the game is worth it. Uh, because But I think there's I a love... there's a good middle ground there. It doesn't need yes. to be, you know, it doesn't yeah. have to stand alone perfectly to be right. worthwhile. I think it, it it sounds basically on your description that it sounds like it's kinda in a good well, it's got a lot of effort put into it despite being kind of it, 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 it feels it, it feels a lot more meaty than yeah, it feels a lot more meaty than other like you know, fighting games that have their like own story mode and uh, and whatnot. Like with those, you don't really interact with the, the with the story modes as much. You'll see some scenes, and then you'll go through like uh like one or two rounds of a fight, and then you'll um go see more story scenes. This one feels a bit more involved because of the RPG systems, and that's cool. But I think one of the cool things about this game is, even if you're if you feel like your fighting is just beyond you. It has a pretty damn good tutorial system and a good glossary in the game. And I, I posted this up on, on my Twitter. Um, just, you know, very, very just I, my observations on it. Like, there's this whole tab in the glossary mode that uh, teaches you fighting game slang, like fighting game terminology. So you, if you don't know what a meaty is or a tick throw or, you know, or what frame data is and, and all that, you know, jargon in fighting games, it'll actually give you a good description of what those are and th those are clear enough to, to me and i was like okay like this this makes sense and i think the the one fall of it which is hard to implement i, I don't necessarily blame it on them because it's hard to show but like uh, if they could give you like a an instance or a midi video or clip that'll show you what a midi is beyond just the text which i, I understand it's hard to implement because some of the these terms are a bit fuzzy and it's just it's not one of those things like kind of uh, funny how fuzzy itself is also a term. Exactly. Yeah, fuzzy is also a term. And that's also explained. But I think I think that's really cool. I also think it's really cool that in the command list and in the glossary for the abilities, uh, it gives you an exact breakdown of the properties of your moves in the sense that in in this game you have uh, you know, the the light version, the the heavy version, the EX version. Uh, of your moves and whatnot, and say, like yeah, exactly. And say like you have you have the an EX version that dramatically uh, changes up the properties of your moves. Say like you have this parry, and like this parry blocks low moves, this parry blocks high moves, but the EX version blocks all moves and throws. Like it'll parry them. Like it'll actually list that down in the description. Like okay, if you use the EX version of this move. You know, this is exactly what it does or what it counters and whatnot. And that's the kind of transparency goes a long way for me. I I I really like when a game uh, makes its research uh, easily uh, approachable inside the game. I don't want to go through. Oh, I have to go join this character Discord. I have to go through this Twitter tag and whatnot to go see what what am I looking at. It's just I don't like going to outside sources and having to find the research that the game should have like told me. Uh, that's how I feel. Uh, yeah, like you don't yeah. have to pull up a wiki page on your second monitor mm -hmm. or exactly or second and yeah, then, a second screen of some sort. And I'm not saying all all fighting games do that, but a lot a lot of fighting games these days kind of they feel impenetrable at times because yeah yeah you have to go to so many outside third party sources to to read up on like even being like feel like you have the confidence to go in and maybe fight another person and whatnot. 
Uh, it, my lizard brain to goes fight. to the uh, yep. when you describe the RPG mode and things like that. I, I obviously don't have much experience with fighting games, but I think about like the subspace emissary from Brawl and how kind of like it had uh -huh. some, it had some it had some time and money put into it, especially some of those cinematics. But it was at the end kind of forgettable and throwaway, at least in my opinion. It's also interesting to think about. I saw those images that you posted about basically the glossary and the terminology. Like, mm -hmm. I guess, like, it's weird. Like, so this is Grand Blue's, you know, de de debut as in, into a fighting game system. Like, other games don't talk about this. Like, it, I guess if you're going into Street Fighter Five or Mortal Kombat Ten, they kind of have this sort of implicit assumption that you know these things where grand blue it kind of i guess knows that maybe its audience doesn't have these so it better do right. a good job yeah. of kind of giving you that baseline i think yeah i think arxis and Psy games did uh one hell of a job so far uh in terms of what they're offering out of the gate i also am a little excited a little excited a little worried because you know as as it stands right now the game hasn't officially been released in uh, North America and Europe. It also barely released, but even before release, they already announced two character passes for this game. And, you know, those character passes have a lot of characters that, that are fan favorites. So those are pretty much guaranteed sales for people who are loyal to the, the brand IP already. Um, which is kind of, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I It makes sense, depending on, like, you know, how game, game development and scheduling goes and whatnot. So in one sense, I get it. But it, I guess the one plus out of that is I believe, but with each character coming out, there will be like a, a story attached to them or a side story attached to them. So there, there, there might be more single player content that you're getting out of those character yeah. passes as well. Um, which is, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. I'm interested to like learn new characters, play new characters. Right now I'm I'm learning um, Metara, which is she uses the bow and arrow. It has like a, a little hop to it. She looks um, crazy. Here's a question. Yeah. So are any of those characters that are going to be part of that, like, DLC? Are they already in the game and, like, the story? Because I know that Arxis has a kind of shaky history where mm -hmm. I remember, like, with Blaze Blue, Chrono Phantasma, that some of the, uh, at least, like, one or two of the eventual DLC characters were already in the game as, like, a story boss. So what are the... I'm not too far into the story, but... At the end of arcade mode, you fight the first DLC character, and he's, I guess he's the main baddie also in the story in the RPG mode. Uh, he's called Chaos Bringer. Um, and it, it definitely seems like they already have like the model and the moveset ready to go for him. If you beat RPG mode, you'll unlock him in the next update coming in March. So like you'll be eligible to unlock him for free, or you can just okay. unlock him the character oh. path. Okay, um, that sounds more along the lines of what they've been doing with uh, Guilty Gear. So that's good to hear because, like you were mentioning, oh, they've announced all this DLC, and it's like I know that apparently the base roster isn't huge for a fighting game. Mm -hmm. So I was just curious, like, because Psy Games was attached, like, are they going to do it more like Blaze Blue was, or if they were going to go like the Guilty Gear route? I'm glad to hear that it's more the Guilty Gear route. Yeah, but uh, but also there there are four other characters on that character pass. I don't know. I haven't run into uh, Jita or Normaya or Sori's in this RPG mode yet. I'm still barely really early on. I don't think they're in the game yet. I'm fairly sure there is like you know a model uh, for. Uh, for some characters in there that they haven't i don't know if they're going to announce it like they stuff yet to announce the final character in the first uh season pass 
Um, they already mentioned that it'll be a female. That there are some characters in RPG mode where it could be a potential uh, that they could be the f- final character in that Fighter's Pass. They could also be in Season Pass 2. And Season Pass 2 is already announced with Belial. And Belial is already de- in there with a the model, that, but you can't fight him anywhere. So I assume they're not, they are, they're not done with their moves, moveset and whatnot and implementing yeah. a fighting game proper. Um, and that that's all we really know right now in terms of like who's been announced and whatnot. I don't know to what extent that DLC data is already inside the base game and it's just on unlock. So I can't I can't speak to that. I, I hope they're, you know, it not nickel and diming. Um I, as far as I know, I don't know if you can purchase the characters separately as well. I, I, all, all that's shown up in the Singapore and Hong Kong uh PSN store for this game are the two color packs and the character pass. And the character wow. pass is just for the for all the characters in the Fighter Pass One. Usually, uh, how it works with Arxis is that they sell the season pass, but as the characters themselves are released, then you can buy them separately. Yeah, that's a, that's what my what I'm thinking too. So maybe they'll they'll go up separately when they when they hit. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But that that's just my initial impression right now. I I can't wait to get back to it. It's it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. Well, it's been really nice to have you back on the cast to talk about what you've been doing, your trip to Chicago, and then some of these games that you've been able to put some time into as we wait for the uh, Western release uh, next uh, early next month. Yeah. So are you excited. Uh, right. So James, uh, over the last week, oh, God, you put up a couple. A... Yeah, you put up a couple nice previews on the site, and I believe also on our YouTube channel for stuff yeah. you've been doing. Uh, so just talk about what you've been up to. So I gave you guys a bit of a teaser that I was going to be uh, seeing some stuff at NAS America's HQ on last week's podcast, and that's exactly what happened. Um, Monday, went um, stopped by, played a bit of Cold Steel 3 on Switch and PC, played a bit of Langrisser, and uh, put up the preview for uh, Cold Steel 3 on Switch already. Um, still figuring out what to do with my Cold Steel 3 PC footage, but that's a story for another day. Um, it, it was nice. Um, I pretty much said it in the preview itself, but Cold Steel 3 seems like it's going to be a decent port on Switch. The only kind of one thing that's a little bit disappointing is that it has that, for whatever reason, like half of NIS America's ports on Switch do not change the resolution between handheld and docked mode. Oh, like the Sky of Five complete, it's 720p no matter which mode. And Cold Steel 3 seems to have a similar situation to it. Mm. I even asked them and I said, oh, is it just like the rendering resolution that's lower? Is the UI at least 1080p? And they said, nope, it's 720p. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> was that final or do you think that's something that they'll, that's final. they'll touch up? That's fine. Yeah, okay. they, they would have said it, it will change for the final version if if it was going to change for the final version. They were very, like, they said, yeah, it's 720p both modes. I asked, what about the UI? It said, yeah, it's 720p too. They wouldn't go out of their way to say that if it wasn't, if it, if it didn't have a possibility of being changed. And then there's already precedent as well. As, yeah. That's a... And we, that's a we've already spoken about how starting with 3 on Switch is a bit of a weird situation in and of itself, independent of not really. performance. I, oh, I actually think it's not that weird. Like... I feel like okay. a lot of people have had their expect- expectations kind of warped by the fact that um, Cold Steel 1 and 2 on PS4 came out in the West before Cold Steel 3. 
when you have to remember when Cold Steel 3 came out in Japan, Cold Steel 1 and 2 were not available on PS4. And while you could say, well, it makes sense that Cold Steel 3 would be on PS4, it doesn't matter that like 1 and 2 weren't there because it was on PS3. Well, by the same token, Cold Steel 1 and 2 were on Vita. So a lot of people that own Vitas and played those games on Vita probably own a Switch or might own a Switch. And it would make sense that the next game in the series would hop over to Switch. So I don't think necessarily... No too, right? Yeah, I don't think necessarily it's that weird. Like, I've, I've seen a few people like kind of get really weird about the performance that they've seen from Cold Steel 3 on Switch. And it's like, oh, it's 30 FPS. Oh, it's 720p. It's like, oh, this doesn't look amazing. And it's like, guys, like... I, mean, I don't you know have if to you played Cold some Steel. level of concession, right? Yeah, it's like I don't know if you played Cold Steel one and two on Vita. That they ran like garbage. Yeah, they were they were pretty bad. Uh, I was going to ask you about technical performance because the pl- playing on uh, how I got through my uh, airplane trips. Uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about it right now, but the on my Chicago trip was I was playing that Tokyo Mirage sessions on core. And that you know the, the the reduced loading times on paddle transitions and just general movement in that game, just going from one stage to another, compared to the Wii U version, does a lot. So if this has like, you know, f- like acceptable loading times just in handheld, like I'd be fine with it. You know, like I don't really expect like super crisp, pristine like PC level yeah. type of things when I'm on the go. It's just like I just want this to like load up and like so I can actually do the playing. If you're planning to buy Cold Steel 3 on Switch over PS4 or PC, I feel like the only real reason you'd want to do that is to play it in handheld mode. Okay. That's because you're thing. valuing that convenience over performance. Yeah. Because you, and, there has to be a trade-off. It's, I won't say it's zero-sum, but uh, the, obviously both of those releases are coming in March. Uh, yeah, the PC I mean, seven Switch version. So there you have. You, got, you have your kind of two choices. You weigh which what you value more, and you pay, make the choice based on that. So the Switch version, yeah. I guess based on your impressions, it sounds like well-suited for that handheld kind of device. Yeah, what I'll say is, is that, and this is why I said in the preview, I haven't seen all of the game. There were, obviously, I only saw, I only played like an hour, and considering how long Cold Steel 3 is, that's like 1% of the final product. But um, it performs pretty well. Like, I do want to see like some of the, um, some of the areas, like, you know what I'm talking about when I say like Valflame Palace and that like one banquet where it like just, frame rate drops Mm -hmm. but on the same token like cold steel wanted to like did anyone else here play it on vita i did okay so you know what i'm talking about where it's like it had a 30 fps cap but even at the best of times it was kind of inconsistent i I don't remember it ever holding an uh, a consistent 30 fps or more. okay so cold steel 3 on switch for the most part is a locked 30 good so all like if for just like even if it has some performance issues in those same areas where there were performance issues on PS4, from my standpoint, it still runs better than Cold Steel One and Two did on Vita, so that's a success. As long as it makes for a pleasant handheld experience, at least on my end, like that's all I would really want from this Switch port. Like, uh, how, like I guess one of my main concerns is like, how is the font size on it? Is it easily readable, or do I have to resort to squinting at some parts? Uh. Honestly, I will say that I didn't play it too much in mm-hmm. handheld mode. I played like maybe like ten minutes. But okay. that's the 
I was trying to capture footage and right. the one problem with switch is it's not very easy to capture footage mm -hmm. in handheld mode. Um, it seems fine. I, I am curious how it will look on switch Lite, but I do think that's probably not going to be as bad as some other games I've played on switch. So well, hopefully not because when I was playing Tokyo Mirage sessions, the, if you remember like the messages you get through your stupid cell phone, but they give you every like 10 seconds when you take a step, like it's, it's, pretty hard for me to like read those messages at times yeah. especially yeah it's i i, I wish there was like a an inherent like magnifying glass option in the switch system there is <laughs> those, there is there yeah you what? hold down the home button and then you can uh, there's an option to magnify text on screen i did have no idea on that yeah, it's on the OS, OS level. level. Oh, nice. Yeah, oh, I guess I, yeah. I don't play. I, I almost always like ninety nine percent of the time play Switch. Uh, I had TV, no so. idea that that it that that's me. Like, I realizing uh, several months ago, I forgot which Japanese account uh, mentioned this, but like the the PS4 also has a, a similar zoom function function on it as well, like for yeah. screenshots and whatnot. It's or in game. It's like on but that's not an excuse for developers making their tech. Oh yeah, totally. totally. I know, I know, I know. We're all on the same page there. I'm just kind of stating the yeah. obvious. So, did you have a chance? But, to, yeah, I don't um, remember if you said it, but did you have a chance to see anything else at uh, Nice America, or was it mostly focused around Cold Steel Three? Um, they did have some other games. Like I could have played Disaster Report Four, but it wasn't really an RPG, and so I did play uh, Landerser, which I've never played the series before. So, it's. It feels like a Fire Emblem, but you have like groups of units. Someone, yeah, it's it's Lancaster is basically um, when when you fight off uh, units on there, you're actually like taking down like their army size uh, with them before you completely off them and yeah. whatnot. So it's not it's not like a instead of like in Fire Emblem where you take down like the health of a unit. Um, you're you're actually like just like kind of stepping off units off until which they, also they has an impact on how much damage those yes. units do. Well, that, that's that's how like so. advanced wars and some RTS work is basically it's like a yeah. unit squad mm -hmm. size that's being whittled down. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, a lot a lot of uh, Languishers Legacy is also just the general uh, branching paths and its story and whatnot. Like there are yeah. there are a lot of different ways that the story can go depending on like the route you you choose in the uh, yeah. dialogue options. Seems interesting. Um, going to edit edit uh, the footage I captured for that and put it up probably sometime this weekend. But uh, besides that, in Cold Steel Three, didn't play really much else. I did play the PC version of Cold Steel Three, though. Uh, um, mm -hmm. So the PC that they had the game on was their stream PC, and they only had a 1080p 60 hertz monitor which meant that I wasn't really able, and they didn't really have any, like, things set up for captures. So thankfully, like, on, like, on, on, the, good, on the good side, like, my capture card's only 1080p60 anyway, so I could just use my laptop for it. But on the bad side, it's like, well, if you're trying to showcase, like, all of the new things about the PC version, it's like nothing... I can't show anything about the ultra wide support. I can't show anything about the higher resolution. Uh, obviously, even though like I wouldn't be able to show it on YouTube anyways, nothing about the higher res higher refresh rate support. It's just a little bit odd. But um, Th yeah. thankfully, at least we 
we reasonably know it's in good hands. They said Durante's. Uh, Durante, yeah. Yeah, yeah and we talked about this, I believe, two weeks ago, and how basically I think with that announcement made, I don't think most people are yeah. suspicious yeah. Or, or worried. There, it might. I'm not saying it's going to come out of the gate you know, flawless, but I, I feel like it's going to be well supported. Yeah. Especially looking at how uh, ES8 was updated recently too. With yeah. despite, even though it was like a year and a half after, it got the love it needed, and I don't think obviously yeah. anyone's expecting to wait that long for Cold Steel Three. I, I I also guess it's reasonable to expect, even though it's totally separate from this, uh, the the Chinese market is going to get PC releases of a uh, Cold Steel Steel Three and Cold Steel Four, and uh, they already Durante already came out and mentioned that uh, their code base is totally separate from what they have in house and whatnot. So that's a separate thing. But I guess I, it, it feels good to know that it's fairly reasonable at some point in the future that we, we might get a PC release of Cold Steel 4 to finally round out this Cold yeah. Steel. Uh, Speaking of uh, Cold Steel 4, like Nisa did say, please stop asking us about games that we haven't announced yet. Please let us release what we've announced first. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I personally hoping that the PC version of uh, Disaster Report Four is really good because I, I actually really like the Disaster Report series. But every, yeah. but both the PS4 and Switch release of it is a fucking mess technically. So yeah. here's to hoping the PC release is actually performs pretty well. I'm yeah. I want to hope on that. Hope, hope. What, what else, James? Um, is that it for you? Well, besides, um, that's it for the NIS America stuff, but. Uh... I have been playing Hero Must Die, so that's a game that we got a review code in for from uh, Degica. And Hero Must Die again. Yeah, it's also interesting in the sense that this is actually also kind of an NAS title in the sense that they published it in Japan on Vita when it first came out in 2016. Vita! Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so... I, I was always kind of interested in this game because it has a really interesting premise. Like, it's the way they're billing it um, now is it's an anti RPG in the sense that you start off at your strongest, and then as you're going through your playthrough, the main character gets weaker and weaker. Because the plot is, is that it's this is basically an entire epilogue to like a traditional RPG. The hero has killed the demon lord, but he died in the process, and the uh, deity in this world has given him five days to kind of just settle things and kind of send off before he go he goes to the afterlife so it's really interesting and yeah that's an awesome angle to take that's actually yeah, a really it, neat premise and i think it works really well because um one of the things is that um so it kind of shows the aftermath of a kingdom like what that just had a war with a demon lord in the sense that, okay, so there was a, an alliance between these three races, but that alliance was only being held together by the fact that mutually all of them needed to work together to fend off this menace. And now that everything's over, like there's a human village that needs to rebuild, but there's tensions between them and the Sylvians or essentially the elves of the world because they need lumber, but the elves are worried about their forest and there's like distress brewing. There's like overt racism between the humans versus the non-human races, like superiority complexes. There's like distrust. And it's really interesting in the sense that like 
I don't feel like a lot of JRPGs focus on this. Like mm-hmm. the, the idea that just because you killed the demon lord, that doesn't mean everything's going to be okay because it's like, oh shit, <laughs> now what? <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not happily ever after, realistically. It's really, really neat. And um, yeah, uh, the gameplay is kind of interesting in the sense that like, I feel like the concept of like the main character getting weaker is really, really cool. But it would also be really easy to muck it up. Because once you actually start thinking of that from a gameplay standpoint, it's like, okay, how do you make that fun? How do you make that make sense within the context of a game? And the way the RPG is structured, like, okay, it's an RPG, but honestly, Hero Must Die feels more like almost a roguelike. It kind of reminds of Outer Wilds. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because like each get each playthrough is only like an hour long or a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on what you do, because so you have five days and in game it's like 120 hours. But so the world map has a bunch of different nodes and it takes a certain number, certain amount of time to go from one node to the next. And so you need to kind of decide where you want to do things and in what order because if you're moving around the map a bunch your playthrough is going to be super short mm-hmm. so the way it's structured for progression is that it actually wants you to focus like your first playthrough it even outright says you should probably explore and figure out what's going on so you can make a plan of attack for next playthrough but after the first playthrough, it's kind of like, okay, you should probably focus on one thing at a time and everything else is extra because if you try and fix every problem at once, you're going to get nothing done. And it's kind of, it kind of is interesting how it ties into the themes of like, look, everything's messed up, but you've done what you could do. You shouldn't try and force yourself to do everything in five days. That's way too little time to be able to solve everyone's problems. That's it's, interesting. Yeah, it's just I'm really liking I it. Think that, it's I'm a almost really done. interesting like uh, marriage between the the through line of you have limited time, you have limited resources, you can only do so much, and then the it's game. Such a powerful saying, message. Like, no, <laughs> like, right? Yeah. It, it would feel also, it would feel incongruent if like you actually could like oh there's a there's a best possible golden path where you can actually do everything. That would kind of undermine it. Where it's like no. We're gonna put these like restraint on you, and you work around it because that's thematic. Well, appropriate for the, there is a true ending though. There is a true ending though, but um, I haven't gotten to it. But from what I can tell, it it doesn't go against that information. But um, the one thing that's really neat about the progression, I don't think I've kind of touched on, is how it has a bit of like there's consequences to your actions, like. Clearly, since your uh, main character gets weaker, it makes sense to try and build as large a party as possible early on. And there's two characters that you can guaranteed get at the very beginning of the game. The first one is your advisor, who instantly is added to your party and is basically a a, uh, support um, support dude. Um, The other, which doesn't actually show up until your second playthrough onward, is this uh, knight in training yona who claims to have had a vision from an angel that she needs to be the next hero and she like dresses up like your like character and she asks you to train her 
so she can get the ultimate magic spell so she can inherit your role as a hero, which sounds cool on paper, but if you take her with you, you'll notice that she is incredibly racist, like oh super racist. She <laughs> hates non-humans. And if you actually do support her and give her like your equipment and let her get the strongest um, skill at your funeral, which here's a really neat thing. At the end of each playthrough, you actually see the hero's funeral and you have a list of the people that attended and how many cried <laughs> and oh you get God. and you get an actual epilogue of what happened to the country after what you did and it's basically oh. seen here's how you fucked up <laughs> <laughs> and and it's like in her eulogy she's like nobody's going to going to have power over me anymore and she has like this terrifying face it's like oh god what have i done <laughs> This game sounds rad. Yeah, like, it, I do want to stress, it's not perfect. Like, mm -hmm. there is a really neat gameplay loop, but the problem is, is that you kind of see all of the locations, like, after two or three playthroughs, and nothing really changes too much between each area. So I feel like the length for the game is going to be perfect, but it's going to be relatively short. So I am have, curious. Uh, does that the Outer Wilds thing where like only certain events at certain places activate within this time frame? So like there there is an ideal time to like say hit up this spot. Yes and no. Yes mm -hmm. and no. Like it's not overtly like Outer Wilds. Like Outer Wilds, like the whole is that the only thing you maintain between each playthrough is knowledge. One of the things that uh, Hero Must Die does is that each of the like heroines in the game has a request of you. And if you complete that request, then in the next playthrough, there is a secondary request that you can do, which is a bit harder. And mm -hmm. actually has an impact on the base state of the world. Like, for example, um, the elf chick, I forget her name. So, like I mentioned, there's... Um, it, tension between the the sylvians and the human village of tulsa or something which gets worse like in any playthroughs after you solve that issue because like in the first like like the base state you can actually kind of solve both sides of the issues by gathering these elemental orbs and giving it to another character who kind of heals the force around the the town which um eases the tension so it solves both their issues okay but in later playthroughs instead of there being tension about oh the village wants to chop down our forest it's like oh yeah the humans actually chopped down some of our trees we hate them huh so it's okay. a, a bit interesting how things start to kind of unravel even more as you're going further and it really forces you to um First off, it makes um, later playthroughs a bit more difficult because you need, like, for example, like in the mines, there's um, the quest that the Naomi gives you is she wants you to hunt kind of like one of these stragglers from the demon army, the Bloodsucker, which was like one of the demon kings or demon lords, like right hand men, and you kill him. And in later plays, well, one of the things he says, though, is that he wants to avenge his brother. In later playthroughs, both of them are alive. Oh, my gosh. So it's interesting. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I'm really liking I it. Really, I think it's really cool how there's like, I mean, I, I'm going to use some bad, you know, imagery here, but it's like there's two wheels. There's one that you're turning based on like you make the decisions you want to do, but then there's like the natural permutations based on like which playthrough and a few things that carry over based on that like quest that you mentioned. So it seems and like I do, how much yeah. time you're going to get, how much time and I guess enjoyment you're going to get out of this is going to be like, how much do those little permutations, whether it's how conflict has shifted or something like that from playthrough to playthrough, you might recognize the locations and the characters, but how much are you invested in kind of seeing the different outcomes or how it can kind of like yeah. spread out like, like a fishbone where you can kind of see how things can like end up at different places based on your direct input and also based on kind of the game's uh, in, inherent permutations for how things change as you replay the instances yeah. kind of I feel like I haven't that. stressed like how well the game nails like teaching you how to play the game with the uh, weakening system so the hero gets weaker the further on you get into the story one of the ways that it happens actually though is that first off he loses HP and MP he also loses like actual stats but there's two other wrinkles to it. One, even though he has five days to set things right, he still gets tired. So every now and then, you do have to rest. It feels like it's this whole thing is like a getting old simulator. Yeah, <laughs> and the, 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 here's the interest, the uh, kind of glue that holds it all together. As he gets weaker, he has to equip lighter weapons and armor. Relatable. So that means that he has the ultimate equipment at the beginning. And so like you could keep using that equipment if you want to, but it makes him get tired quicker. And if he's like, hurt. Yeah. And if he's tired, he loses HP and like base <laughs> stats at an accelerated rate. Oh no. <laughs> Seems to end me. So basically what you want to do is that there's kind of like a basic um, elemental system. So if you're, going to be um doing quests and like say the forest it makes sense that like you have a certain amount of time before you have to worry about swapping out his equipment so it's kind of like okay i want to focus on the mines and the forest that's played through so while i'm in the mines i'll get fire equipment so that once i get to the forest i can just swap out his like regular stuff for fire equipment that he can then use against the uh forest enemies so it's like you have to plan and it's quite as yeah quite yeah so you it's it's interesting how it kind of like forces you to like at the very beginning of a playthrough you have to have a very specific idea for like what you want to do in general i just love the idea of a game kind of designing itself differently it's not gonna be made it, it does obviously i'm speaking from your description here but uh what I'm thinking of is I saw an indie game, which unfortunately I can't name right now, but it's designed as if it's the uh, old abandoned servers of an online co-op shooter. Like that's, it's not, it's not literally that, but it's designed to kind of feel like that. Or I just love the idea in general of games kind of like doing this twist on what you'd expect on where it's de deliberately kind of put in a way that you wouldn't expect in terms of how it progresses. It's not just you know, it's not leading up to that final fight against the demon. It's the denouement after it. Um, yeah. And that's something that something like even Final Fantasy X-2 could have done, but not really. It didn't, it kind of, it kind of flirted with the idea of this is what post, this is what peace post-conflict looks like. But then it just kind of introduces a new conflict and it, it just ends up being kind of repeating a few of the same beats. 
but based on your description it seems like no this care this hero is getting weaker and you have to deal with that and this is after everything has happened and you have yeah we are, we are putting we are putting these time limits and these restrictions on you where this is how you play this game we are designing existential crisis the game yeah it's it's really interesting like the way i put it is is that it does have like i mentioned like like the stuff like the racism and whatnot like it i think it deals with them respectfully but the problem is is that the game doesn't really ever go that deep because each playthrough is only like an hour long so it's like i feel like this is one of those games where correct i'm not sure if any of you guys feel this way but i feel like there's distinctly two different types of like seven or eights out of tens like when you're reviewing a game you have the seven or eights where it's like it it's good i, I hopes for this but it fell short or maybe i'm maybe i'm starting this... with your second example yeah, yeah, you yeah. What, are, what are your what are your two different ideas there's that and then there's a seven or eight where it's like it has a lot of flaws but i really uh, i really like how unique it is <laughs> right so it's kind of yeah. like whether you're approaching from outside the let's use a baseball analogy the batter's box and framing it into a strike or where it's something where it looked like it was gonna really like go straight down the center but it ends up going out like where it depends on whether which what you are anticipating what it ends up being yeah and whether or not it's being carried by one strong unique idea or whether yeah. That lower score is based on stuff you've subtracted out from what you're yeah. expecting and what you what you ended up being received. So it's, it does sound like this game has frankly this really is the uh, type of yeah. frankly this it. is the type of game that I love to review just because it's like like how many people would know about Hero Must Die or even care about Hero Must Die like before like reading a review. It's like I'll be honest and say like when I hear those three words like I like oh, I've seen that in a Twitter post somewhere I think I've seen someone maybe I've seen that jet post somewhere <laughs> yeah like, I, I don't know anything about it but I guess with your description <laughs> I'm like oh well, I, let me at least Google this afterwards and see kind of yeah. what it looks like and where it's available I'm really curious to see what they price it at though because I do feel like it is pretty short I I think thirty bucks would be the best price for it but I don't know what they're going to end up falling on that. Yeah, I've, I've always mentioned how I've had my. You did mention how it's only uh, like uh, an hour long, like each playthrough, and you do wonder like how yeah. much stronger that different that that whole idea, the whole concept could have been if each playthrough was just slightly more meaty, where you could really allow these different uh, combinations to play out and these different decisions to like really yeah. kind of make it an impact. You just wonder if it's yeah. if it's really an hour or barely more, if it's going to really land that that's that strongly. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying. Like, I've had my eye on the game for a while, ever since it was started getting press in Japan for the Vita release. And I think it was like uh, originally like a, a browser game or mobile. It was or a something. feature phone game. Yeah, so smartphone game. Smart it was like phone. a 16-bit something RPG yeah. on a phone. That's what it was. It's like a remake of that. Yep. That's cool. I I never really knew that much about it until just now. That's it's really refreshing to hear. It it seems like it's uh it, there's something to it. Yeah. So Adam, you haven't really had a lot of chance to speak uh lately. Uh, do, is there anything in the last couple of weeks that you've been uh putting some time into that you have ideas about? First of all, you guys are just having such a great conversation. I didn't want to try to mess it up, you know. So. That's what would happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, I felt I felt the same way listening to Josh and James talk about 
what they've been doing, and I'm really interested in uh, these games that I normally don't get a lot of time in myself. But how about on your end? Yeah. So first of all, earlier this week, I went to L.A. for a Persona 5 Royal event that they were doing. I can talk about the event, but I can't talk about the game. But they were basically just they, they invited um, different press people, different YouTuber, streamer, influencer type people just to check out the game. And they had they had uh, no, they had the, they had the voice actors there. Oh, um, <laughs> OK. But yeah, so I got to play a little bit of the game. Again, I can't talk about it, but it was just cool to kind of see them putting this effort forward. Um, I, I did chat with the voice actors a little bit. Uh, meet some friends like like you talked about earlier with the with the near concert just to kind of see people you don't see very often mm-hmm. in this industry. Uh, so because of that, I didn't get to that. That took a couple of days out of my week. Uh, I didn't get to play as much as I would like to, or what, what I normally would perhaps play in a week. Uh, I am still playing Saga Scarlet Grace. If you want to do all the playthroughs possible, oh, I couldn't go through one. a whole podcast without breaking. It. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, it seems like something you really feel strongly about. So I'm just teasing about it. Uh, but so last week on the podcast, I did mention that I wanted to get into Baldur's Gate, especially with the third game coming out later this year, or actually, I don't know if we know it's this year. It hasn't been announced. They, I think they've mentioned that they're going to talk about more soon, but I don't think there's any. Yeah. So Larian is holding an event, um, later this month. They teased it on their Twitter and they, we don't know exactly what they're showing yet. They haven't really said they're just, I assume it's going to be a gameplay reveal. But I don't know exactly what it's going to be. So, but with that game coming out earlier or later this year, maybe later, uh, I wanted to get into the series. So I started up Baldur's Gate. I haven't put a lot of time into it, about two or three hours. And I have not really played many of these Dungeons and Dragons type games with a Thacko armor system and whatnot. I, I'm, I'm uh, some dungeon crawlers I've played have had similar systems, so I'm not totally coming in blind. But still, like just trying to uh, acclimate to this sort of game is proving to be a little bit of a challenge. The game throws a lot at you, and it's a very, very flexible game in terms of how you build your character, your race, your class, what weapons you want to use. Uh, even just two or three hours into the game, I've already ha- you can have six people in a party, and I've already found like ten people I can use. So I, I'm already making decisions like who do I want to keep and who do I want to who do I want to bench. And there's just so much information that the game throws at you in terms of mechanics and party builds and all of that, that it is proving to be a challenge. Like, I don't know the, the I don't really know enough to, to, to build a team and to, to approach the game probably in the most efficient or productive way. So it's, it's a little bit of trial and error. Like, let me just try going in this direction with this party, with these weapons. And sometimes you run into uh, a dire wolf that'll kill you in one hit. Yep. So, <laughs> Which uh, system are you playing it on? I'm I'm playing the enhanced edition on PC. Okay, cool. So I, I've already run into a few things where I've actually looked online, like, oh, I guess this this thing, this character was an addition. It's not actually immediately obvious as someone new. I actually thought it kind of was. So I played this. Well, uh, I played this about a I year and a half ago, earlier. and obviously, there's some. So how it works is that uh, in 2012 or 13 was when the enhanced edition from Beamdog first release, and then obviously you covered last year. They got moved to consoles, and with those enhanced edition releases, they've added like three or four characters, and because those characters are you know 15ish years newer than the 
turn-based game. They have a lot more spoken dialogue. Uh, they have a lot well, more like their I haven't gotten that far involved. to really see who has a lot of dialogue yet. So. Oh, okay. But uh, it, it was like when I played this about a year and a half ago. Just and I assume you're going to be playing through these just throughout the next couple of weeks or months. And I will say that Baldur's Gate One. I hate to say, like I feel like in general, as a as a core concept, a good game is a good game. But Baldur's Gate One is the one where you have to kind of go with the expect expectation, like yes, this was made a while ago. It's going to feel old, arcade in some. Yeah, but I will say though that even going into like Baldur's Gate Two right after that, there's an immediate improvement, and I think obviously we see that across a whole bunch of genres where they get the idea of what sort of game. Uh, they wanted to make and what, what what was important to them and they obviously had the idea of the infinity engine and what what their capabilities was and i do think that especially when you get into Baldur's gate 2 and its expansions um that it's as playable today as it you know as it's ever been especially now that uh it's available on the consoles as well yeah there is definitely a learning curve like it feels i'm at the point where the game playing the game actually still feels kind of like work or even like studying maybe like I'm still just figuring it out, and I, I've I've saved and loaded so many times now. I've died so many times because I'm just I'm not I don't know the game yet. I'm just have to figure it out. So you kind of have to have that mindset going in. Like okay, this is going to be a struggle, um, unless you've played. I've played a couple of computer RPGs, but not really. So I'm, I know I'm playing like the grandfather of them all, uh, but it just. It's just something I, I know I've been wanting to play for a while, and it's, you know, obviously such a seminal game in the genre that it's nice to actually get around to playing it. And I don't think anyone expected Baldur's Gate 3 to ever be a thing, because Baldur's Gate 2 came out, what, 20 years ago? <laughs> so, Well, it's just uh, it's an interesting situation in, in whole, because I think if you go to forums for the last 10 years, obviously since uh, Beamdog was doing the... and I, I keep saying Beamdog, but I think there's other studios that are working with them for the enhanced editions like you should know i think it's team dog skybound did like the, the publishing stuff. right but yeah. anyways i you, you can see like uh those like people asking on their forums or on other places that they should do publish k3 if they can get the the, the the rights or whatever but then obviously last year uh larian behind the divinity games were like nope it's ours we got it and obviously i think everyone's kind of on board with that because the divinity games have been so well received though it i don't feel that uh, from outside of a of a surface level, I don't feel like Baldur's Gate and Divinity really play all that similarly. They kind of have different story concepts and themes, and obviously one's more real time and one's pure turn based. Uh, so I I think at a surface level they're similar games, but I wonder what Larian's gonna do with the Baldur's Gate. Is it gonna look like Larian's take on Baldur's Gate, or is it gonna look more like? appear involved you know, does that make sense like i don't think the video so. game I, I really feel it. that similar outside of just their general isometric perspective i think party-based rpg one thing that's worth mentioning about the whole situation is that i do remember hearing like around the time that Baldur's gate 3 was announced that originally larian went to uh, wizards of the coast and said hey we want to make Baldur's gate 3 like well before like the announcement and it was actually Wizards of the Coast that went to them later after the success of the Divinity, like original Sin games, and said, "Hey, are you still interested?" Yeah, 
And that yeah, I, I think uh, I actually talked about that with my uh, my interview at E3. And yeah, it does seem like it's something that Wizards of the Coast is very on board for. And I believe out of all the publisher or out of all the developers, Larian's kind of at the forefront. Behind them, you might have Obsidian, but they're kind of, you know, they're within Microsoft now. So who knows? And then you've got other groups like Exile, who's doing Wasteland and um, uh, Alcat, who's doing the Pathfinder games now. Which I do kind of want to talk about because uh, obviously uh, it, was, it was just a small piece of news, but they announced that the Pathfinder, the follow-up, Wrath of the Righteous, is on Kickstarter now, and I, I just think that that's um, there's not much more to say beyond that. But th we've seen the, the Torment Tides of Numenera go to Kickstarter. Both Divinity games were on Kickstarter. Uh, the um, Pillars of Eternity games were uh, all crowdfunded. So is Baldur's Gate three? You feel like it's a big enough project that it shouldn't be but maybe it still will be for for other reasons or maybe they'll find some way to do that it's, it's just uh, i don't know it, it just it just seems like that's almost a given at this point because all six of those other titles i mentioned or however all ended up having some degree of that crowdfunding because obviously it seems like these sorts of games are kind of hard to publish they've got a limited audience uh but they're well, i guess it's a limited well, well, vocal audience one thing that's kind of interesting about wizards of the coast is that at so Wizards of the Coast is like the, I'm not even sure the right word to put it. They're like the, they're like the creator, the IP holder of Dungeons and Dragons, and Baldur's right. Gate is a series basically in that Sword Coast world of Dungeons and Dragons. Now I'm not super familiar with Dungeons and Dragons besides just like a very basic overline overview. But at the Game Awards last year, they announced Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance, and maybe one other game. I'm trying to remember. They well, they announced they, the Dark Alliance. They did the the MMO, um, the Magic MMO. Wasn't well, oh. yeah, that was Magic: The Gathering, which is a different. Yeah, uh, yeah it's a different IP. thing. What was it then? Well, they announced they announced Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance, which is basically there was a Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance series on PS2, fifteen years ago, which is sort of like another story in that world, and so they Wizards of the Coast is also having another developer making this other. Dungeons and Dragons game, and then I forget who it was, but some interview with Wizards of the Coast said they have like four or five or six different games that they want that they're working on. It's it seems like as part of this, I'm echoing, as part of this, uh, they have they have some sort of initiative right now where they're they wanted to publish into the video game space more, and that's probably that's probably partially where Baldur's Gate three came from. It's like they decided at some point, hey, we want to make more video games in the Dungeons and Dragons universe and Baldur's Gate 3 of course is a headliner for that. Well I think one thing they're trying to do is they're trying to find this um, kind of pairing between their tabletop experience and their video game experiences and I, when I say they I mean kind of like these uh, IP holders in general because when I talk to Wizards of the Coast at E3 they have a, basically a tabletop game called I believe Descent into Avernus it's a tabletop campaign which is like a prequel to Baldur's Gate 3 so they're like hey if you're really invested you could actually play this tabletop D&D campaign and then going the other direction the Pathfinder game and Pathfinder was spun off of Dungeons and Dragons third edition I believe uh, and they basically like were adapting a tabletop campaign to a video game which is what they did with Kingmaker as well. So I think they're really trying to be like, find this sort of uh, synergy between their tabletop experiences and their uh, video game experiences, whether it's RPG and then a, 
like a side campaign that goes with it or, or a prequel before it. So I think they're really trying to figure out like where that audience is. And I think they obviously with projects like that Dark Alliance reboot, I think they're they're really trying to hit the consoles as well. Because Baldur's Gate, I think, has only been announced for PC and Stadia. But based on Larian's track record, I think we should kind of expect to see it on consoles. It's just not obviously confirmed or announced at this point. At least that's Man, what if well, what if a traditional classic Western RPGs make a big rebound next gen? I feel like oh. the the seeds have been planted because uh, obviously yeah. and like and not only just like the isometric games, but you do wonder if you're if you're like those Knights of the Old Republic remake rumors because even though that's not isometric, that was designed really kind of like a CRPG in mm -hmm. terms of its mechanics. Not, but you kind of do wonder like if that's going to be rebooted, it's going to be more like an action RPG, isn't it? They're not going to do these dice rolls, are they? You wonder. I hope they I, really want the dice rolls. Am I? Am I? Yeah, I want. I, some people are like, I don't want. I don't want a dice roll to determine my chance to hit. Uh, but I kind of actually really enjoy that. I don't think a CRPG <laughs> has to be a party-based isometric game. I think that's kind of a limited viewpoint of the genre. Because uh, Dragon Age Origins is also like that. I, I guess you can play that kind of in like a... The, the Disco Elysium made me, made me realize, like, I kind of miss dice yeah. rolls. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I do think I do think that like obviously the early 2010s was where it was really kind of uh, I don't know there were slim pickings I feel like but now you see all these early access games and uh, obviously these Kickstarter games that I mentioned where I do feel like going into next gen we could have a whole bunch to talk about for people that are really into that. Uh, yeah, I, I hope that, the, they, uh, they make that a new Legend world. of Grimrock as well. Uh, like uh, Legend of Grimrock is one of those things that sticks out in my mind as well for this type of stuff. And I guess I'll, I'll give out my requisite like shout out to Druidstone, which came out last year, which is a smaller bait game from the Grimrock devs. But it, I do think it's kind of also an interesting little, uh, it obviously it didn't get the exposure that uh, like Divinity or Baldur's Gate will ever will get. But I do think it was kind of an interesting project from that from that side of the world. So anyways, I don't want to speak over Adam. Did you have any other uh, comments about your first couple hours with Baldur's Gate, the original? I mean, I'm still just figuring things out, like what my party build's going to be. And trying to try to kind of brute force those first couple of like level ups and hopefully not die so often. Yeah, and I, and I and I will say that game that game just naturally has a learning curve. By by the time you're like level three or four, you can actually buff yourself and like heal like without having to rest between every encounter. It does get easier. That's just my personal take. I have bad like, news it's, for it's you, Adam. There's direwolves in every direction. No. <laughs> so. But yeah, it will. It does get easier, and then uh, obviously, as you, not only not only just pure difficulty balancing, but as you get to the newer games, I say newer, but the later games, it, it gets a little bit more uh, like quality of life and like just polish. It's, it just feels a little bit less rough. It, it also part of the learning curve is that the UI is very old. <laughs> like it's it's very mouse driven, if, if I remember yes. right. Yeah. And God, like that's a game that and... I, I like obviously um danny did a review for the switch version for us last year and i kind yes. of wanted to like look at that to see like how in the world do they map this to console i've seen kind of some implementations of that with like pillars of eternity ps4 port but like Baldur's gate especially i was just like how do they make that work and i i i guess i just never had the time to really look into it all right so that i think wraps up our games we've been playing segment we've got you know we've got the whole gamut from old from older crpgs to uh newer PC ports of JRPGs to Mobage games. So into the second section of the podcast with the news topics. Um, I already talked a little bit about Pathfinder. It has a new Kickstarter for their sequel, uh, Wrath of the Righteous. If you could obviously just pull that up on their uh, on their main webpage if you're interested in that. Uh, also from the Western side of the world, uh, this is a game that has been kind of 
been kicked around a bit the last year and a half. Uh, Fallout 76, which I reviewed in late 2018, is getting its big Wastelanders update on April 7th, which if you don't remember this, this is kind of like that semi-cynical, like where they announced at E3, like the game's getting NPCs and it got legitimate <laughs> cheers. And I think I think Adam was in the audience for that or you attended that conference? <laughs> I, I was, no, I didn't attend that one. I, I attended the oh. conference report when they announced it. Oh, 2018. Imagine a world where that was a thing, a headline. (laughs) They're adding people to Fallout? (gasps) Yeah, but but you said kicked around. By kicked around, you mean it's kind of in the butt of jokes. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I meant. I guess I was trying to be polite. Um, So obviously, I feel like even though I reviewed it and scored it poorly, I feel like I have actually somehow been more positive on this game than most. Like, I feel like some people are like... Oh, yeah. Well, they announced that a while ago, and I think that was kind of a Bethesda... um, overarching policy where they had all their games including like rage and things like that uh, only on their launcher and i don't want to bring in like the specter of launcher wars but the bethesda launcher was really bad like for instance it forgot that i had fallout 76 installed and i still didn't have it installed and so it like you and then it was still taking up like 70 gigs on my hard drive so it's like you can't install this unless you have 70 free gigs i'm like it's already taking up 70 gigs but anyways uh ah, yes the same which... problem the xbox app is constantly having with people oh and that that's another uh i i have age of empires somehow through the xbox app installed on two drives but anyways that's beside the point i do feel like yeah. fallout 76 has at its core some interesting ideas with how it's card build perk system works and i do think that bethesda and this this might sound blasphemous but i do think that a lot of their games are ambitious and neat at the core level it's just that they have a really hard time executing uh, on their ideas which can be manifested in bugs it can be manifested in like bad poorly implemented uh projects inside of their games like for instance when I was playing Fallout 76, late 2018, early 2019, one of the things that kind of kept me going was the raids. Like how it was going to work was that they were going to open these vaults and they would act as these as the game's raids. And the vaults are obviously like these iconic locations that are in the single player games. And that was going to be the raid for the game. But apparently it just got so, and I'm speaking kind of hearsay secondhand here, but it was such a resource sink it was no fun the rewards weren't worth it and they ended up shutting it down indefinitely just imagine implementing a raid into your game and then it was so poorly received that they just closed the door to it and said never mind but (laughs) wastelanders i just feel like this is if fallout 76 is going to have any chance at any sort of redemption on any level this is where it has to start so i'm actually this was delayed too right yeah it was was supposed to come out last year. year And okay. I, I remember when I was posting early last year about their roadmap, I was actually pretty, uh, what's the word? like Excited. I, could, I, I Like, this could actually be Pumped. something good. But the thing is, is that A, the Wastelanders was delayed, and B, the nuclear winter update ended up just being like a... Um, battle royale mode yeah which well, i guess i guess that? i guess some people enjoyed it but that just wasn't me like i don't play fallout like imagine fallout a classic rpg system at its heart series at its heart now as a competitive pvp game like i just didn't I, like, oh, I don't gel with that but anyways wastelanders is like if there's going to be anything it's going to start here and i'm i'm morbidly curious to be like all right uh a new start for fallout 76 well at least it seems like it has better chances than like I just want just uh, I just want to I give it a fair shake. Yeah. 
I just saw like a tweet go out like the other day about how apparently Anthem still has the Christmas decorations up in the hub. Oh yeah. Oh, that's that's supposedly good. I I posted that article late last year about how there's going to be Anthem rebuild or whatever they call it. Uh, like there's some like fan names for it. Like this is this. No, that's what it was. Anthem Next, where it's like this is going to be the year Anthem redeems itself. And obviously, both of those games you could go to YouTube. I and hope find any any number. We're coming of up on the people. We're coming up on the first anniversary of Anthem's release, whether it's like early yeah. access release or full release or whatever. It's it's coming up that that first anniversary. Very I, exciting. I genuinely hope that they can turn that one around too. But honestly, I have my doubts. But I guess like Fallout seventy six is what we have for this year while we wait for Starfield and obviously Elder Scrolls. Well, which you, I Josh mentioned earlier. I like just the state of like Western RPGs. It just there's not many of them, right? Like besides, it just, like, it, just it just feels like if you're interested in that, it almost feels like you're better off in terms of quality of product interesting like direction of project if you're not looking at the top end outside of maybe cd project and obviously the witcher and um, yeah. cyberpunk you gotta look for like these uh what, what what's been kickstarted like by greedfall you know, last year was... or, or yeah or like spiders where it's like they're on the up and up and greedfall has some interesting ideas yeah. it really seems like if that's the experience you're looking at you can't look at the top end you got to look at the next shelf down and i think and in like general, pathfinder okay was that. i've not played pathfinder it was also crowdfunded, and it's effectively indie, I think. It's from a studio that basically was made to make Pathfinder. And I don't know what the expectations are for that for that game, but everyone I know who has played Pathfinder like loves it. Um, I know it was buggy at first, and some people don't like like the kingdom stuff of it. I don't I think you're one of them, but... Well, they, they I, ended up, like, they, uh, and, like, obviously I scored it poorly when it first came out, but there was, like, daily patches where it was, like, we are really, I, I this is my take, my personal take. I like how we got off topic because we don't really want to talk about Fallout. Let's talk about more interesting games uh, where yeah. they, like, really, they really wanted to put their best foot forward, even though it was their first project. The studio is Owlcat in Russia, and they had the publisher Deep Silver. I forget exactly how far along they were when they had that. And they were putting out patch after patch after fix. But then on top of that, releasing their like uh, DLC schedule on schedule. Like they added a little, a little, they added a new companion. They added like a prequel kind of side story that would like save import into the main game. And then they added like this endless dungeon mode. Like they basically, they, they, they somehow attacked it from all fronts. Like here's a polish, here's a hot fix, here's a content update. And now I feel like it's really interesting. Uh, the way I would phrase it is that it bats above its weight. Like Owlcat being this unproven, you know, unaccoladed developer, and you put their pro product, Kingmaker, alongside games like Divinity and uh, Pillars of Eternity or Towerment or um, Shadowrun. And I just, I don't feel like it's a clear step down. I feel like it's a, a project worthy of its standing. Honestly, the only thing sense. that's holding me back from actually playing Pathfinder is that I know it's supposed to be very long. It's like 100 hours. It, it is. Like, it is very uh, long. <laughs> but yeah, I'm yeah. interested in Wrath of the Righteous. Obviously, I'm interested in all those uh, anything we can see from the from the Western side of the of the world. Um, but to kind of reel this back in, Fallout 76 Wastelanders comes out in April. I'm gonna try to put my best foot forward and be fair with it. Like I think right now though, because of course it's like this. Somehow in the last half year, my character in Fallout got like bugged. So like all my power armor, which is really heavy, and obviously these games have an inventory limit. 
is like stuck in my backpack and I'm like half a oh, mile yeah. away from my camp. So I got to like, all right, let me load up my character, like walk encumbered to my camp to drop off my power armor and then i'll be able to be ready for the expansion so april 7th wastelanders let's give it a fair shot and i'm not saying that cynically i'm going to i'm going to actually try to really go in yeah i'm really just see how how like how the implementation is how in depth it is i want to see like how people react to it yeah i I remember when fallout 76 was first announced it seemed like a really cool idea to me like a fallout game only rather than like you being the only player character in the world kind of have it like not fully mmo but just you know like a shared world with multiple player characters like that seemed like a good idea just like as a vague broad concept my circle and i uh, my so, circle of friends and i were ready to like give that a, like a real shot like that actually sounded really fun up up until the release. well i i remember and i've seen a couple stories shared on websites like kotaku uh where it's like this character outside of this vault made like a maze where he lets players go through and then if they make it he gives them items or characters that set up like shops and vending machines because that was one of the game's updates early on so it's like some some players have really kind of taken that space where they're like i am going to be this npc i am going to be this fixture of the world that other people on my server can interact with but i just think without the fallback of having some bespoke designed characters from the developers aka npcs uh to act as shop merchant uh quest givers and merchants it just you can't i think they punted too far if that makes sense they they're like they thought the player interaction would carry more than it did and there's a lot of reasons for that there's just a few number of players per server because like it's a pretty big map and like when i would play it would be like 15 people on the map so you could play hours and not even run into another person by just by chance just because you know you, you just the map's too big and there's too few people on the server hmm. So speaking of a Fallout-like game, this is my clever segue into Outer Worlds, <laughs> which, <laughs> sorry, which obviously came out late last year. We put up a, a few a review and a few guides for it, and this year it is slated for a Switch release, which was Adam might have the dates here, but it was it was announced only about a month ago, I feel, for its Switch release date. But then they. Uh, they have announced that because of coronavirus, you know, concerns affecting the port developer Virtuous, uh, who has worked in the past with um, we actually talked about this port last last week, but the the new update this week is that they're delaying the port because of those concerns. Uh, so it's basically going to be some indefinite date in the next fiscal year. So after April, yeah. So Virtuous is Virtuous is a developer that is based and headquartered in China and Shanghai. They have a couple of offices worldwide, but that's where their like main headquarters is. So of course they're they're where coronavirus concerns you know, are most uh are most concerning. So they're delaying the the production of the uh of the game. Uh on the plus side of that, when they announced the Switch version, it is coming it was originally announced to be coming to retail, but the retail case just had a download code, which is a little awkward. It's like, if that's the case, why don't you just download it off the eShop? Uh, but they announced that, they're, I guess they're making the most of the opportunity that, okay, we're going to delay the production because of coronavirus, but now when we do release it physically, it will just be on a cart. <clears throat> they probably heard kind of they probably got a bit of flat for that. Yeah, and we, it's, we that's kind of one of the benefits of actually holding this podcast weekly is that last last week we actually kind of talked about like how that compares to like The Witcher where they obviously did the whole the whole full effort on the on their Switch port for their game, but then this was just going to be a code. But now here we are a week later saying uh they've kind of bundled these two weird 
stories juxtaposed together where it's like it's delayed because of health concerns, but it's going to be on a cart now. So it's going to yeah, be weird, some... a weird, weird situation to, to describe that or to, to announce that. But there it is. So Outer Worlds is going to be on Switch in April or I mean past April at some point. It wasn't dated. Yeah, it's just yeah. they don't know. They're basically it's just indefinite right. at this point. Like we'll give yeah. them more time. Obviously, coronavirus is a dynamic thing. We don't know how long it's going to take to, for that to be not a concern anymore. So yeah. uh, Taipei Game Show was supposed to be held uh, this weekend. Actually, now that was postponed to su- to summer because of uh, coronavirus yeah. concerns as well. Just, also, just a trivia note too. Uh, also, delayed. I was just going to mention that Virtuous right. is the. Um, they're the port house that they previously they worked on a few things like uh, I think I mentioned this last week too but for Switch specifically they worked on Final Fantasy 10, 10, 2 and Final Fantasy 12 for Switch which everything I know about those they're pretty good ports so they seem like they know what they're doing on the flip side they also did uh, Dark Souls on Switch which had some audio quality issues uh-huh. so um, yeah but I will say overall I think this is a uh, I mean, it, it's always a shame when something gets delayed, but I think the reasons given and the fact that it is now coming on a cartridge, I, I think this is... I'm happy it got delayed, both for the... Yeah, uh, I, I don't feel like platform. anyone's really going to like take a lot of uh, negative sentiment towards yeah. this delay, because on one hand, you got the health concerns, on the other hand, you're getting the physical card out of it, so it really it's feels also, like it's also kind of on board. As fair as possible about this uh, situation, yeah. They they laid out the reasons fairly concisely and directly, and you know that's always I, I appreciate that. It's not like some weird like oh it's I I hate like delay announcements where they're vague about the 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 reason for the delay. And then yeah. there's some there's some like we want this time to fully execute on our vision or something like that where it's, it's like, like okay oh, I get where like, you're going but you can't really say the specifics so we just kind of take your word and you can't really do anything yeah. beyond that. All right, but I'm ex- I'm interested mostly, obviously, in the DLC that's slated for this year, which obviously we really haven't heard anything about. But I do think that the game had a few like weaknesses in terms of its scope and budget, and you do wonder whether well, whatever whatever two. they got planned for this year is gonna. I think I think it has a possibility of really elevating what it was, in my opinion, from its original release. Yeah. So Take Two, who is the parent company of Private Division, which is the publisher of the game, which is developed by Obsidian. Uh, Take Two had their Which earnings call. Yes, now it is. It's kind of a weird. It's kind of weird. It's a web. Now. Developer is a Microsoft studio now. But anyway, um, they had their uh, fiscal earnings for the quarter. Uh, that's actually why they made the delay announcement. Is it lined up with their fiscal earnings release? And they announced that the game, which released on Xbox One, PlayStation Four, and PC uh, through the Epic Game Store, as well as on Game Pass as well, but it sold more than two million units. Which, you know, it's hard to it, sometimes it's hard to tell like it, is that good or not. But according to their expectations, it said they said it was it surpassed well well surpassed their expectations. Um, and kind of getting to what you were just saying, Brian, I feel like the Outer Worlds when it was first pitched, like first announced, um, if it, it seemed like it was always meant to be like a smaller scope sort of game, not a huge Fallout game, even though it's clearly Fallout inspired. But I think it just sort of gained enough traction pre-release partially because like sort of what we were mentioning is it feels like western rpgs have sort of been flubbing here and there with like mass effect andromeda or whatever um people wanted to they really really attached to this because they they saw this as something that could have corrected course 
especially also after Obsidian has been working on like pillars for several years, so return for them to something that's not isometric. Um, but I do think like, and I'm not, I don't want to, don't, I don't mean to speak for you, but you can sort of tell when you're playing the game that it is a limited scope. And because of that, there, there are some corners there that are a little bit rougher in places. And um, I think it's, I think it's a good game for what it is. It, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the DLC. Um, they haven't really said anything about it, but, but other than that, it's coming. Um, also worth mentioning, it should be releasing on Steam this year too for people who've been holding out. Right. Uh, yeah. That, 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 that's yeah right. We're in that window. That's, that's of, we're in that window of time yeah. where uh, we're gonna like I say, Metro Exodus. Obviously not under our purview, but it's coming to Steam this month. Like the, that first wave of games yeah. is coming over, and then you like obviously those people are gonna see like the level like at least for their PC ports. Maybe not in terms of content, but they have the polish behind them and a few updates, and they've got the yeah the beta testers figured out or, or polished out those yep. issues. <laughs> Um, I yeah, just hope that it will... should be uh, coming to Steam right, pretty that soon too, because that six months. That was on, that was only six months, yeah, and came out late last year in October or maybe September. I don't remember. What, what game was that? It was September thirteenth, so it should be coming out then on March thirteenth. If it's going right. to be like strictly six months, I don't know. They also announced but that Borderlands sold eight million. Just to mention, yeah, <laughs> did well. It's kind of weird, like, you have to always scope, like, 8 million is a success for one game, and then 2 million is a success for the other. You can't just compare it sideways. Uh, but Borderlands is Outer definitely going to be a right. budget game. Yeah. And <laughs> then uh, I just hope Outer Worlds, whatever they're adding to it, I just hope it's more in the form of, like, uh, the Tales of the Sword Coast for Baldur's Gate, or the that Fallout 3 expansion uh, that extended the ending. Where it's not just like this side story tacked on where it's kind of all standalone. I hope it's more integrated. Like I hope it's like we're unlocking some of these uh, locations on the map and you can go to them in the middle of your campaign. It's not, I hope it's not all just like shuffled on the end or shunted on the end. But we'll see. Because like I think of like New Vegas, for instance, where all, all of its expansions were just kind of like segmented away from it. Like you're going to go to Utah to do this expansion and you're going to go to uh, Nevada for this one. Like they're all they're all kind of fenced away and i i feel like outer worlds it wouldn't really benefit that much but well also outer worlds i think it'd be very very easy to fence it away just right because yeah. of the planets but i i hope it's yeah. more integrated than that but i guess we'll see i'm still convinced that at least some of the planets that are kind of grayed out in the base game are probably going to have like are probably going to be part of the dlc like at least one or two of them yeah all right so that's the outer worlds for switch and dlc coming this year so one thing that started just yesterday, something that a few of us have been kind of interested in from the sidelines, is the Fantasy Star Online 2 beta for Western release on Xbox. And I believe it's been 1,000 James... years. Yeah. Well, it, it, eight, and it felt it like it was 1,000 years. servers to start last night. <laughs> um, right. So what was, your, what was your experience with the Fantasy Star Online 2 beta, James? Um, it was... Uh, wait, well... It first went up, and then they only had one of the ships up. They didn't detail it was only going to be ship one. Oh, no. But and then, everyone said ship two. What the hell? Yeah. It, it, so here's here's some uh, sort of, uh, I guess, historical significance. PSO2 so, more. Yeah, PSO2 um, obviously never came out in the West before, but, uh, but quite a few people were playing the game, and there's actually a very active fan translation for both the PC and the Switch version, not Switch, Vita version, sorry, um, that people have been playing on for basically 
almost the entire life of the game. Eight years. And, and it's been kind of an unofficial thing where ship two on the Japanese servers is the Westerner server where you can hop in and you'll actually see people speaking in English in the ship lobby because this is why if you go on Twitter and you see someone's uh, name says at ship two, you'll know that they're real. Yeah. So it's funny. So pretty much most of the people that would be excited for this closed beta, I feel like since it's been so long and it's not that hard to set up the uh, fan translation on the Japanese PC release that a significant portion of the people that would want to play the closed beta probably have some sort of sentimental value assigned to ship two specifically. It's really good. It's so, a- so it starts ship one's online, but they never mentioned it was only going to be ship one. So people are like, Oh, are they going to roll out the rest of the ships? Like every couple of minutes, ship one's full, nothing on the Twitter for like an hour. Finally, ship two goes live. It also and it's funny because you can see like ship one goes from full to normal and then ship two <laughs> is full because everyone actually wanted to play on ship two <laughs> and it, it was just a, it was a train wreck and then they had to go into extended maintenance it's like at some point i was able to get my character created and almost finished a tutorial before i got booted off because oh, it wasn't actually the server's issue. It was because my dad actually logged on to my profile on his Xbox yes. on accident. <laughs> it was just amazing, amazing. So it eventually did go live sometime at like 9.30 p.m., like 10 p.m., somewhere around there. And I got like two and a half hours of gameplay in, thankfully. Okay. But it's like, and I, honestly, it's, it, it's Fantasy Star Online too. Like you've, if you played the game in Japanese, you know what to expect. If uh, did you, you play with the English voices or no? I played with English voices for a bit, and I switched to Japanese voices because the lip flaps are not synced at all. So that's that's actually my uh, I forgot to mention this. That's actually one of my big problems with Grand Blue Fantasy Versus that the English voices, especially those in RPG mode <laughs> and the and the the pre-fight scenes, is like they did not lip sync for English voices at all. It's very off at some point. Didn't even try. <laughs> didn't yeah, even try. It, it's it's disappointing, but I can understand why yeah. they didn't do it for Fantasy Star Online too, because it's like so much content. It's like hard enough doing a dub for all of that. I don't even know why they did a dub, to be honest. It's kind of well, amazing. I, I'm I, old I, school where I think when sometimes yeah. when I think of an MMO, I'm surprised there's the lips are moving at all. Uh, I but really, I guess some I, of those MMOs have such high production values now that you even though this game's older where if they're made for a global audience, they got to factor that in. There are some great like localization touches. Like the first person you meet is like Alfin, I believe his name is. The, and he's the, Australian. He's, he's Australian. Yeah, he calls you Vape. And that's like their their localization for like, because he calls you Aibo a lot in, um, in yeah. Japan. Aibo is like pal. In, uh, in English, yeah. so that, and like he actually like curses as well. In yeah, the tutorial. it's like holy shit! I'm like, oh my god, Alfred, why are you cursing? Oh no, he looks like an <laughs> well, innocent boy. Me oh, god. Innocent elf boy. oh god, Alfred dropped the f bomb. Oh god. Oh, and like this, maybe, maybe... Like, interesting to note. Interesting to note that Fantasy Star Online 2, this English version, is rated M, like straight up. Yeah. Mm. Uh, one thing that's actually really interesting that I don't think most people will notice: two things. One, this Xbox version, straight up. Is just the Windows, the eventual Windows 10 version running on Xbox. Wonder why? What I mean by that? You can change the graphics settings, every yes. single one. Like <laughs> you can change. I turned anti-aliasing and motion blur off 
because it's FXAA and it was already downsampling from 4K. Um, like you can turn the shadows to lowest quality. You can do everything you want. Apparently there's some performance issues on base Xbox one, but I have the X, so I didn't run into that. I actually think, and I might be wrong, but maybe Ark of Alchemist's horrible performance like has completely broke my mind, but I'm pretty sure because I'm running, I was running the game on my 1440p 144 Hertz monitor and Xbox actually does support high refresh rate displays. Most mm -hmm. games don't support that, but actually the um, Ori in the Blind Forest story, well, the Wisp devs on Reset Era recently have been hinting that on X that Will of the Wisp will have a 120 FPS mode. Oh, that's crazy. So games can support it if they want to. I'm pretty sure that PSO2, it's VSync links to the um, system setting for uh, highest refresh rate available. I think the game actually does run at a higher refresh rate if you have the monitor to support it. You can also uh, play the closed beta with a uh, keyboard and mouse as well if you want to hook that oh, up. Oh, yeah. It was funny. Like There was a few people in the ship that I was like the uh, the block I was in that obviously could realize they could plug in their keyboard and they were just typing away. And it's like, that was hilarious. That's, oh, man. That's so well, we, When this beta was so announced, uh, we actually kind of talked about like how is this game going to scale when it comes to Series X later? Or when the, not when it comes to, but when that comes out. Based on your description of how it's running and looks like basically a, a pure, fully featured PC port, it's just if it's when it's playable on Series X with their cross-platform uh, kind of uh, mentality right now, I just set up the settings even higher. Like it just I seems mean, like that's it's, the way it's they're lucky going. It's not confirmed, it's obviously, game. but right. It's an old game, so I could do whatever it wants. I mean, it released before the Xbox One was even released, so I mean, it it runs well again on X. I, I have seen some people complain about the base Xbox One performance, but I do wonder if it reads the uh, highest supported refresh rate. I do wonder if, since Xbox One S, it can output to 4K for like 4K Blu-rays. I wonder if there might be some bugs there where it's trying to output that 4K on Xbox One S. Uh, also worth mentioning, like uh, before the closed beta event light, there's like a, a dev manual that got leaked out that actually I, I had mentioned of a, a Steam version for this game, so it might get released on Steam. Uh, I'm sure it will. I'm sure yeah, it will. Sure it will. Um, but yeah, it, it's also just... they also mentioned that it'll have a battle pass as well. And I don't think there was a battle pass thing on the base original game, so they might be trying to. There was login stamps, and one of the things you could do is you could use uh, Arcs Cash to buy um, kind of sub. Um, like subscription passes and also to increase your inventory limit which by the way anyone that's planning on playing this game if you actually want to play it buy the upgrades for your inventory because you can only hold yeah. 50 unique items at once and that includes just random items that includes weapons that includes armor buy the buy the uh, bag upgrades <laughs> Yeah, I think anyone serious like about this game will have will see the immediate value uh, in that. But I'm interested to like to, to see like how they're gonna handle like the battle pass because like yeah. traditionally battle passes are there's this ladder that you like work work through with levels. So like you play or do these rewards and then you level up and then you get more rewards the higher you go on that ladder. So I'm I'm interested to see how they're gonna handle that because that yeah on paper that's actually like a smart idea because that's that's the end thing these days. That's what people expect out of these games out of service. 
Um, yeah. yeah. It's going to have, it's an MMO. It's, it's going to have some sort of daily login system, whether it's uh, a pass that yeah. rewards you for playing yeah. your matches or whatever. But I, oh, my viewpoint coming I'm into this game there. is that I've been kind of looking forward to some other MMOs on the PC front like, that I feel like I've been waiting forever for, like Ashes of Creation or uh, um, New World. And then I, I even started looking at like uh, Crimson Desert Online was recently announced. Yeah. And then like kind of as a, as a out of the blue at E3, was it last year or the year before where they announced this? This year. And, this yeah, ob- this, and then this obviously uh, this game already has a lot of people that have a lot of people who are highly invested and can speak to the games. You know, you need qualities. Where it's there, there, there's like, a lot of people the, rising from their graves this year, man. You have Vanity Star Online right. 2 fans. You have Marvel vs. Capcom 2 fans for Evo. <laughs> you have Gundam fans that are actually, actually going to have like a good like Port of a fighting game uh, from the arcades, like uh, it's it's exciting. There's a, there's a lot of like when you when you have when you have Josh on the podcast, you, we, there's going to be a Gundam mention. And I do yeah, also want to say that uh, uh, this I, I've never expected to speak so many times about the Vita in 2020, but here we are. It's because this is we brought it up like pre- regularly this whole uh, this whole cast. Uh, but okay, Fantasy yeah, Star they, Online they, they two beta for this weekend. Like uh, is yeah. it still going? Is it through Sunday, or are you gonna put more uh, time into it's it? I don't know. Through, how it is. I think it ends nine a.m. on Sunday or something like that. So uh, they are Yeah, the, they're not extending it. They changed the urgent yeah. quest uh, schedule so that they're um, a bit more packed together. But otherwise, it's um, just as it was. It, it was planned to be, which is a bit disappointing. But um, oh well. Hopefully the uh, open beta is like a few weeks after the closed beta or something, and then it's just like once I'm gonna put so many hours into this game. I'm scared. Yeah, I'm scared. I'm I'm gonna get my feet wet. I just I wonder if that means like I'm gonna end up waist deep before I know it. But I'm interested in buying it when it hits uh, Steam. It's going to be a game that's going to be very easy to get lost in, especially since you have so many hours worth of content just packed and it's actually really funny though one thing about the story is that since they're using the current japanese version as the base like they kind of did slight changes to earlier episode stories so, so yeah i i believe how it worked in the japan release uh, was as time went on and more and more episodes and story content got added they kind of like made it a bridged version of episodes one through three kind of made the progression mainstream so you kind of skipped a lot of like you you still saw the story beats but you didn't really play all that much there wasn't even just that i'm talking about but also like some of the later episodes deal with time shenanigans so they've changed slightly changed the story in episodes one through three to accommodate so it's weird it's weird yeah, I'm going I, to be I confused. Think, yeah. we're, we're, we're in for a ride, however it shakes out. I'm interested yeah. to see, like, how... How long are they going to support it in the West? Because it's already uh, eight yeah. years old, so... How long they're going to support it, and how much of it we're going to have from, like, day one. Like, how far can we go in day... Like, what's the, what's the current content that we can go up to? Um, briefly, and one thing people notice is that briefly, like... There was just a new update for Fancy Star Online 2 in Japan on the 5th, and that brought it up to um, a certain version number. But actually, before that update, when people loaded up the uh, title screen for the closed beta, for a brief period of time, the English version was a newer update than the Japanese version. (laughs) Good. Fantastic. Yeah. 10,000 hours ready to go. Ugh, I'm ready. It's gonna be interesting. 
I'm already not playing enough games that, that all these games are taking up a whole bunch of time. But at the same time, I'm still eager to do it because I will mm. never learn. Yeah. So, all right. For our next topic, I'm going to, I think, punt over to Josh because I think he can speak to this more strongly than I can. But Fire Emblem Heroes, Josh, what's going on with this this one? Oh, boy. People okay. are angry. People are always <laughs> there angry we go. Fire Emblem Heroes for one reason or another. But, uh... Okay, so here we are, February 2020. We're at the third anniversary of Fire Emblem Heroes. Uh, this has been going strong. This has been a strong, like, you know, earnings-wise, profits-wise for Nintendo's mobile division and whatnot. And it's 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 going great. Like, you know, people are psyched. It's third this is the third uh, anniversary. We they want improvements. They're they're anxious, they're they're very excited. So what do they announce? They announced this uh monthly subscription pass for for nine dollars and fifty cents a month, it's like and what do you get? Oh, all right, well, so what you get is one: you get uh, quality of life options uh, like auto repeat, and um, and what was that mechanism in Fire Emblem Three Houses where you can turn back time to an earlier turn? I forgot what it was. The turn called. wheel or whatever they call it. Yeah, they they, they have a, a similar mechanic to that. Uh, uh, pay uh, paywall gated. Uh, in Fire Emblem oh. Heroes, so you can mm. if if you if you mess up, you can you know redo that turn or to go back to a turn, just pay up nine fifty a month for that and the auto repeat function. If you want to grind the stage or for an event and whatnot, and you need currency, and you don't want to press the that button alone, just leave your phone alone to auto repeat it. Sure, just pay up, and then also you remember uh, all these like awesome units from the early life of the game. They're, they're kind of, you know, not relevant anymore. There's been a lot of, you know, characters have been added to Gacha. They're a lot more stronger. They power crept the old units and whatnot. It's like, oh, man, but I, I really like Lin. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I, I haven't rolled any of her other awesome ones. What am I going to do with this original Lin? It's like, okay, well, for $9.50 a month, you can have you can have this awesome new artwork for Lin because the, the old one's a bit dated, and it'll give you an outfit for Lin, and that'll add plus two to all her stats. So you know she she has like a bit more competitive edge. She's a little bit stronger, and you don't even need to have that outfit equipped if you want, you don't want like you know that that plus two is uh, permanent to all stats. Just, just you know just pay up. It's like okay, well it's it's not it's that sounds good, but you know she's so she's a little bit more competitive. But okay, whatever. Well, how about this? So there's this little thing called summoner supports and uh, Fire Emblem Heroes that. You know, when you uh, go into a stage, you can uh, equip a summoner support to uh, on a unit to uh, buff up their stats. And you can only do this for um, like you know one summoner support. But what if, what if if you just for nine dollars and fifty cents a month, you can you can add up to three summoner supports to that unit to buff up their stats. And you know, this game has a pseudo PvP modes where like if you Win certain amount of these PvP like against they're, they're like PvP in the sense that they're against AI versions of people, but you're still kind of stomping people to get. Re- it's like asynchronous uh, PvP. Yeah, yeah. Ascend the ladder for better rewards. So what if you know you just pay up to have a you know a, a slightly you know more significant edge uh, to you know keep those on the bottom, non-paying people at the bottom. And me, I, I'm paying ten dollars a month for you know all these rewards. How much is it as a month? I, I missed uh, it. Uh, that's only just for the low low price of 9.50 dollar sign a month 
So there's your third anniversary from uh, Intelligent Systems and the fine folks at uh, DNA, the developers, on your Fire Emblem Heroes subscription pass, the FEH pass. And that's uh, that's your third anniversary. I, uh, I hope um, you, ex- you enjoy it. it sounds so, great. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so people are. I have a lot of opinions on this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So obviously, people are. A lot of people are righteously furious about this because that's how you celebrate the third year of your game, and the, and it's like it's so transparent as well in the sense that like, uh, profits have been going down for this game. Like, there's a significant like uh reduction of profits, uh, year after year as this uh game has uh, gone on. Like, it, it's it's still doing well, but obviously you can tell that they want more money and they want more paying customers, and it, it, like a subscription pass. Isn't necessarily new to these types of mo- uh, mobile games and gacha games. Like I know, Valkyrie Anatomia, which is the Valkyrie Profile one, offers one out of the gate, and that's still a bit scummy. Um, where it like you can have this uh, option to like speed up combat, and that, and, but the fastest option is to is gated around you know pay gated around that. But that that subscription passes up front. And it's like at the start of the life of the game. It's like you can take it or leave it. And it's also I forgot to mention as well. Like in Valkyrie Anatomia, there are these exclusive quests uh, that are only available if, like, if you're a paying sub member. And like in Valkyrie Anatomia, like they're they're nice to have, but it's not a big deal. Um, in Fire Emblem Heroes, they have a similar thing, but it's a little bit more annoying. Uh, where there are these quests that are uh, that you can do, and they'll actually pop up even if you're not paying for the sub pass. So, like, say you have this quest for like kill like you know five enemies and whatnot and like it'll still pro track your progress on that but when you're done with it and you and it's time for you to redeem your rewards and you're not sub it's say it, like you'll have this annoying notification that it's like hey you can like redeem your rewards here oh you're not a you're not a sub you're not you don't have the pass i don't think so you don't get these rewards you'll have this annoying notification on your menu that says you have unredeemed things but you don't have the pass so you can't so redeem basically these teasing rewards. you Yes, exactly. Uh, so, uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, it's not great. It's not great. It's it's definitely not. It's one of those things you kind of don't see out of nowhere because this is the this is the third year, third anniversary. This should be a time for like you know, celebrating. You know, like you've made it this long. You should be thanking your players, like hey, thanks for supporting us, or if like if you're coming back to this or you're new to the game. Like you know, these are all, like there's a lot of great things about this game. You don't you don't celebrate this with like, hey, um, give us more money. Give us more money. You know, we know we know you didn't get your units. You might have spent in the past and you to to get your unit and whatnot. But what if you could pay more for all these like really great, especially quality of life changes and whatnot? It's uh, like, it's, oh, that's a weird what thing the... to think about. How how do you balance that? Like, is that on the table at all? If you're in the third year of a game, a mobage or any game. And you want to introduce this? Maybe is that decision in itself poor, or is it like should they have started smaller? Should it have been like a dollar or two for they, they fewer should, bonuses? They, it's one of those things. It's like it's hard to balance, but they should have been smarter about implementing this. I think people would have like <clears throat> if you were to the do like a subscription pass like this. Obviously, ten dollars a month feels like that seems expensive. That's like almost an MMO subscription a month. Like, I pay less for a Game Pass PC, like, and I pay full price for that, five dollars a month. And I, 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 I could get a fucking Euro PSN Plus for less than yeah. that that for a year, you know. It's 
it's it's always a hard question to ask because I don't know exactly how you balance a subscription pass that's that's introduced three years into the game. Like you already have an existing player base. I don't I don't think that player base wants a subscription pass after all these years, especially after all these amount of hours and potentially for people a lot of money put into the game and they, and you want them to pay more for even basic features. Like I can go boot up Dragalia Lost and they have an awesome auto-repeat feature that was added a few months ago. And that works perfectly fine without me sp- spending a dime on it. You know? And that's just that because the like that's one of those features like people wanted and they like they, there's like a submit feedback form right on the main menu. And the developers that I gave are very receptive of like, you know what, we, we could probably be better. We're gonna implement these changes and it's not gonna you're not gonna lock it up between like some like subscription pass or you have to pay for this feature you know it's it, it it's a bad look especially compared to like almost every other mobile game <laughs> right yeah. if it's if it's bad just even compared to like contemporaries that's that that makes you think that they kind of miscalculated they want it seems like based on my outsider perspective that they wanted to mm-hmm. really try to give you the value for your money to justify the ten dollars but you can't say it's still ten dollars a month for a single mobile game and then you look at the competitors and you say, you know, I could, there's lots of other quality options I could look at that don't ask this right. of me. And it's also, and also implementation, it's like, it's emotionally deceptive. It's like, it's, it's, it's feeding on that. Like if you, if you're, if you're a sucker for like, I don't like seeing notifications. I'm going to try to get out all those notifications on my game. And just to see that that's the one that's like remains, it's like, that's just, that just feels wrong. It feels bad. Right. And so it seems like I'd, they don't expect to see a, any sort of continued growth in new players. So to ask all your existing players, like, hey, if you want to get the most out of this, you're going to pay up and we're going to ask you to and we're going to remind you if you haven't. I agree that the yeah, optics yeah. are just really poor. It's also, it's also on a minor scale. It's like also feels feels really bad. It's like you have this like awesome character that you that you liked like from way back when, and like their art is dated now, and that and that new artwork is gated behind like you know this set pass as well. Ugh, come on, come and on. You can't. Is there any Even... chance? Like in your example with Lynn, can you get that new artwork through the the actual gotcha the the random or is it completely no no oh, no you, it's behind it, the... it's, uh, because that because that's that OG unit is like. It's something you rolled, and like if you want the new artwork for that OG unit, it's locked behind the pass. So yeah, yeah. I can maybe obviously again. I'm speaking from an outsider's perspective. Just want to make yeah. it clear that I don't know what I'm talking about, to put it bluntly. But if there was like a you get these if you pay, but you also have the chance to get them as a roll, do you think that would justify it or at least soften it? I don't know. Does I mean, make sense? I. I, I Kind of rephrase it a little. Like, are you saying that, like, if you pay, like, you have like, a chance? Hey, bigger chance? Yeah, no, if you pay, you're guaranteed to get this new artwork or this new character. But you also have a chance of getting it through the free, through a, through a, a banner roll or whatever. Like, if, no, if there was that, an that, opportunity... That'd be, that, that'd be too convenient then. That that, that actually, like, yeah. over makes it overvalued then because the it would actually break the economy uh, on that. It's, it, it'd be... At, at that point, it becomes way too generous to the... To the to the consumer of like, hey, only pay uh, a sub pass to get the units that you want guaranteed. That's uh, that actually breaks right. the economy, and that that'll actually sink them. <laughs> Oddly enough, just that one little change. 
All right. Sorry, maybe it was a silly question. I was just trying to. I'm no, trying, I guess no, I'm trying to play. No, I'm trying to play devil's advocate. Like if they were, yeah. at, if they had to do this, if they felt like this was uh-huh. the decision they had to do, what tweak could be made to make it more palatable? That's just the general mindset. I, th- I think if, I think if it was five, I think it was like five dollars a month. Even though that already feels bad, it was like if it was like at least five dollars a month, and you didn't lock out the auto repeat and the summoner support, uh, and the and the turn all the quality of life changes and the summoner support change. If you didn't lock those out and scaled it back to five dollars, just for like uh you know the, for your OG unit and whatnot, then that feels better-ish and and and, and exclusive quests. Like if, if I were to like make a compromise, I think that's where I would draw the line. Still feels bad, yeah, but not yeah, as bad. Yeah. But not as bad as that. Yeah, it still it feels weird because like that compromise might only sound good because we're coming from what they actually implemented. Where if that's where they landed initially, would it have even seemed like a compromise? I guess we'll never know because that's you mm-hmm. know, I have hypothesis contrary to yeah like, yeah. But Fire Emblem Heroes, how much a month? Nine dollars <laughs> and fifty cents USD. There you go. A month. Amazing. Yeah, go get it. Amazing. All right. So no, don't get go. it. What are you talking about? Don't get it. No, I mean, go, go think about it. Go <laughs> long and hard. Consider it. Go think about Maybe. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on. There's no there's no smooth way to segue out of that one. Damon X Machina. Uh, oh, I just punt to Josh again, but all right. So Damon yeah, X Machina, obviously, it's something that we kind of covered on the site underneath a label called Branching Paths, where it's something that really isn't something that an RPG focused site would it would fall under their purview. But it's obviously something that people. I guess I'll just punt to Josh. Josh, Damon X Machina, you feel strongly about yeah. this game? It's coming. I, it's coming to Steam it? in a week. Oh, is am that, I pronouncing is that how you it wrong? Say that title. I say yeah, Damon X Machina. Is it Cross? Yeah. Is it Cross Machina? It's actually. I think. I think it's just. I think it's just X Machina, yeah. I don't think I. Or maybe it's like Hunter Hunter, or you just say Damon Machina. Yeah. All right, it's coming to Steam next week. All right, how do you feel? Yeah, February thirteenth. I'm super excited. So, Damon X Machina is uh, was released uh, on Switch last year. I really raved about it. It was like kind of the spiritual successor to Armored Core and whatnot. And uh, the fine folks at Exceed and Marvelous are uh, bringing it to Steam. Uh, obviously, with what you expect from a PC port with a higher frame rate, I don't know exactly what the cap is on that. Two hundred. There we go. Th- up to two hundred. Uh, then it also has the graphical enhancements. It'll run better. Obviously, it, it'll uh, have less loading times. There's still a lot of content that I didn't get to, like post game and uh, through updates. Um, this will launch with all those. With a ha- launch with the PvP. It'll launch with the co-op dungeons. Does, does it have the Witcher update? So unfortunately, the license DLC. I'm here. I, I've heard you know t- talks and everything, but I think they've already already specified that the license DLC, like the collaborations with Eureka Seven and Code Geass and Witcher Three, I haven't heard word that they're coming. They're not know, coming. You know, there, there's always maybe hope for the future that eventually maybe there'll be a, yeah. a change of heart. But as of right now, it won't launch with those. I'm crossing my fingers and toes that they will one day. They those seem really cool. But either way, it is a very awesome game. If you're looking for uh, anything, if you don't want to keep on playing Armored Core 5 or 4 or 3 or whatever, and you want something new, uh, Damon X Machina, uh, definitely a worthy successor. A little bit different, but nonetheless uh, very good. And it running way better, uh, not being confined to the Switch hardware. 
Uh, I'm excited to be a sucker and double dip again because I really like it that much. So I don't think know if there's really any parallel right. here. Uh, so I, I don't uh -huh. know if there's really any parallel here beyond just the surface level. But when I think when I see this has been announced for Steam, obviously the analog that we had last year was uh, Octopath Traveler Octopath. on Steam. Even though obviously it's a different developer, different publisher, um, but it it kind of means like let me word this generally like are, is there an avenue here for kind of like those third party exclusives or I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think no more heroes three point? yeah I'm like no more heroes or astral chain like would, would is that the sort of scope of game that would um, come out astral on chain Switch is interesting astral chain is interesting come one. because why do you say that because of the the wonderful one hundred and one Kickstarter. Also uh, went up this week. <laughs> yeah, that also went up this week. Uh, proved that, like, to both to Platinum and Nintendo, that there is like a chance that Platinum may start taking this route of like they they definitely have expressed they wanted to take ownership of the Bayonetta IP. They you know I think uh, as they try to become more independent and, and self published, they definitely want to start like taking ownership of the IP that they've developed for. So. With the wonderful 101 Kickstarter being a resounding success, success with its uh, now being coming coming to not only Switch but also coming to uh, Steam and PC, uh, PS4. PS4, yeah. And because when it first went up, there there were interviews with the Platinum, uh, like speaking with Nintendo, and Nintendo basically told them, "Hey, if you want to do this, either come only for us uh, for Wonderful 101, or do it on your own." And obviously, they went the on your own route and. Uh, use the Kickstarter as a platform to to gauge interest on uh, how like how far they can go with this. Yeah. So now, so now with Astral Chain, Astral Chain is an interesting one that maybe there's a chance that Nintendo might be a bit more iron grip on it because unlike Wonderful One Hundred One, Astral Chain actually made bank. Like yeah. it, was, it, yeah. it was a very very successful game uh, compared to their yeah. expectations. Um, so they might want to have more of an iron grip on like that, unlike Wonderful 101, which was a Wii U exclusive, and that didn't really... Wonderful 101 sales. Yeah, it didn't sell a lot. So it'll be interesting. I would really want to see Bayonetta 2, Bayonetta 3. Right, that's what I was thinking. Like, obviously, I don't want to lose the plot. We started this discussion with yeah. Damon X Machina. Damon Machina. Yeah. Damon Cross but Machina. I would, but, I would like, love to see I was more thinking, of those like, third what about... exclusives on... Like, what about what's is yeah. Bayonetta three? Like, I, am I an idiot for bringing that one up? Like, I don't know. It's interesting though it's, to it's think hard. that there's going to be yeah. like this. There's this, there's going to be this like genre. I don't know genre pool of games that are going to be Switch PC. It's just interesting. there are there are definitely you know that it it's a it's a weird wild west out there right now. Like it's also one of those things that maybe Nintendo doesn't minds less that a game is coming to PC than uh, coming to other platforms. Well, I'm not sure if you can say that though, because Wonderful 101 as well. Yeah, it's coming to PS4 as well, but like it, it that, that was definitely a, a significantly higher. Uh, like, this is not like, quite cool. the same topic, but it's still weird to me. Like the Square Enix Nintendo connection, this is relating to like the Octopath thing where it was a mm -hmm. Nintendo game, but it also was a Square Enix game and then it released on PC. So there's a lot of Square Enix games that in Japan are developed and published by Square Enix, just, just like usual, even if they're a Switch title. But for some reason, 
in the West, they're published by Nintendo. Nintendo. Yeah, Nintendo. Is we saw that with Dragon Quest Builders and things like that. Dragon yeah. Quest Builders is so weird that the official Dragon Quest account was like not allowed to talk about the Switch version. It literally did not exist on that account. Like all of their That's marketing and promos, it would just mentioned like it's coming to PS4. Did you even get on PS4? Um, even now, the official account only says "out now" on Steam and PS4. Yeah, and now I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually wild. kind of like, I'm just kind of, it's just so weird. And it's also, I'm also wondering, will Bravely Default Two somehow end up on Steam? Oh <laughs> my god, I think insane. I think since Octopath did, it will. Yeah. It will. It's a good point. It's weird because you meant obviously the Square Enix publishing situation is a different situation, like you mentioned. But you do wonder, like. Will the, uh, I guess the red tape, how you want to call it, will the paperwork line up so that these PC ports can happen for these third-party exclusives published not underneath Nintendo for these non-Nintendo releases? Like, And then obviously Damon X Machina is only the second example, I think, after Octopath. But obviously yeah. now that we've got two, you, it's it's just natural to you think. Start here. You, start, you start seeing a trend. You start drawing the line through, through the two so, points. Here, yeah. here, Super here's excited my... for Rune Factory on PC. I know. Here, here's what here's my secret hope. But like when you start seeing this trend of um, Nintendo taking over for projects that Nintendo takes over for publishing in the West, but when you see the original release in Japan and, their, and Nintendo isn't involved with them, like Octopath and David X Machina, I'm hoping that Marvel Ultimate Alliance three is the next PC port. That's another that is example a game, that I wouldn't have that thought is, of. That, that, that is a game that is like secretly like actually really good, but everything about it is really tied down to being like weighed down by Switch's uh, hardware. Like the performance right. on it is pretty bad. The loading times on it, pretty bad. But if you can, if you, that can run at higher frame rates and more consistently, that would it would be for an amazing game. It would be like and there's there's awesome. kind of the uh there's kind of the uh the cousin argument to this as well with rumors from a reputable, reputable source that like Horizon Zero Dawn is coming to PC. Right. And it's and not the that's only different. Game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a Sony developed that's that's from Guerrilla Games which is a Sony owned studio. So <laughs> and just to branch out again to go to the next room over uh the the uh, Quantic Dream games uh journey well like, the thing with so... quantic dreams was like not a sony studio they just like well yeah that's that's the, that's the reason why those were able to come out on pc same with uh did, did we learn about death stranding, death stranding. The situation there death stranding that's like yeah. kojima productions is not a sony studio like they're not owned by sony entertainment interactive or interactive entertainment it's just well they, they they just it's, it's, they it's, had, like it's, some it's, sort of contract to work with them Right, it's these contracts and these publishing things that have these gaps left. Well, I don't want to say gaps because that makes it seem like it wasn't deliberate, but they're designed in a way where these PC ports can happen, whether it's Octopath or Quantic Dream titles or Journey or Well, the Guerrilla Games one is especially interesting because unlike well, Halo's weird one to bring up like... because it was PC, but well, Microsoft, just... yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's all, all of these situations are kind of like tethered together, but obviously the um, the nuts and bolts underneath each, each of them are all different. So, it's, so the, we're kind of the messages. <laughs> the message is go build a really fucking awesome PC and yeah. then get get the benefits of all the console games coming. There oh. you go, Josh. The the, the PC even jealous. <laughs> so there you go. Um, <laughs> obviously, and obviously, like we talked about, Cold Steel coming to PC earlier, and obviously, most of the Falcon games we can expect to come there. Uh, I don't know. It's it seems like a good it seems like good to have, but then obviously it also goes the other way where we talked about Baldur's Gate coming from PC to consoles, and then 
uh, like Pathfinder's coming to console. We can kind of expect that anything that Larian puts out, it's going to eventually go to Have console. Have they announced anything about Pathfinder, the first game, coming to consoles yet? <laughs> I like how I drove the conversation just shows, back there. Not, I didn't really mean it, but... Uh, they uh they announced on their Twitter page like they answer saying yes it's coming oh. they haven't announced it formally but they basically said yeah it is so it, it just showed up on like fiscal reports the the pools are contaminated or the lines are crossed between PCs and consoles and going either direction. it doesn't matter so, what you have anymore everything's coming to everywhere well like that's that's it's like all all these like great rivers coming for, towards the pc pool so there was a really interesting uh kind of post on a forum i read every now and then that basically said that the reason why they think that sony might be um focused like porting games to pc is that especially if the next gen console is being such a boost in like performance and whatnot like if you look at their specs there's no way that they price it below like even 600 and not take a, a significant loss on the like the console sales. Right. So mm-hmm. it makes more sense for them to sell their games on different platforms if Thumbs they know. Yeah. yeah, because they know they only want people that are going to be really invested in the ecosystem to buy their systems because the way they make bank and they get over that loss is if somebody buys a PlayStation 5, subs to PlayStation Plus for a significant portion of the system's life, and buys a ton of PlayStation 5 games, or same thing with Microsoft with the Xbox Series X and whatnot. It makes more sense for them to just release games on PC because like the people that would want a PlayStation 5 anyways, most of them are still going to keep getting a PlayStation 5, but the people that were going to play on PC... Now they don't have to worry about, okay, they're going to buy, they don't have to buy a PlayStation 5, which means that we're actually making, we're losing less money off of them because we just get the money. They, might, they, they, they might have as high attach rate to make up for their, the loss in the sell to them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really interesting perspective that I didn't think of. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And obviously they have all the uh, market research behind these decisions that we don't. So we can only speculate. And I hope we're doing it somewhat of a service, but obviously from our position, we have to involve some guesswork and estimation. But I just do want to wrap back around and say the start of this little topic, which has been really kind of cool and interesting to talk about how it's all stemmed from Damon X Machina. I will do the service by buying Damon X Machina (laughs) again. Yeah, yeah. Right. you don't have to. You don't have to buy a Switch or a Switch Lite. You can get Damon X Machina on Steam. You can double dip, or you can go in for the first time. My personal uh, state stance here is that I didn't play a ton of the Armored Core games. I played like three and four Answer, but like mm-hmm. I haven't played obviously the five or anything. And they haven't. The series has been dormant since. So if you tell me that this has Armored Core blood in it, I don't think kind it of like, perks my ears up. So it, it, it's a so more accessible Damon, Armored Core. Right. It's, it's not as it's not as crazy or in like you know like um, detail oriented as Armored Core. It it, it finds uh, other new avenues to make it more palatable, and uh, but still but still retains some of the depth that Armored Core has. And it has like it looks like it has kind of like a unique outward facing uh, aesthetic to it anyway. On top of that, yeah. which makes it kind of mm-hmm. less of the same and something more wholly unique. Yeah, it looks. It's just about like cyborgs eating ice cream. Okay, I'll it's take your good. word for it. All right. So as for our last discussion topic of this cast, uh, Atlas put out a survey, Atlas Japan, uh, talking about remakes, switch ports of their back catalog. 
So I don't know if uh, maybe Adam can talk most about this, but the translation for the survey was posted on uh, Persona Central and we kind of linked to them on our Twitter page uh, for what this survey is asking. And it's an annual survey and they're asking about basically what from their catalog, uh, from the last, from anything I guess they've ever produced, like would you like to see a remake of, would you like to see a port of, would you like to play it on so PS5, asked... would you like to play it on Steam? So yeah, go ahead and give us some of the background here. So they've asked the remake question before. Um, and I should just mention, and anyone who plays Atlas games knows this, they are definitely no stranger to like re-releasing their games. They do it all they the time. They love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, do they really? Usually they, yeah, they do. And they usually add a random new female character into the yes, story. New girl. That doesn't fit. New girl. Yeah. And their track record is not great. <laughs> like not, a, not a lot of the new content they've added in their new releases are, is like, ever fantastic um we'll talk, about that in a bit, in a bit. we'll talk about that in a bit but i believe this survey this year i believe is the one specifically asking about switch ports so just like re-releases like no additions i would say they even mentioned actually no just releasing it as it was only on switch and they they bring up um some of their playstation 2 entries like digital devil saga um D devil summoner uh, the raidu games um, they they brought up the earlier Persona titles, uh, and by earlier like Persona three? titles, I, let me <laughs> let me pull up, let me, let me pull up some of this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the first Persona title, Persona Three. Okay, actually, for the Switch <laughs> game, they actually do mention Revelations Persona and Persona Two, both both halves of it. Yes, get uh, the PS One port yes. of Revelations Persona. Remember how like Atlas USA they could not release the PSP version for some reason. Uh huh. Of, yeah, that, of Eternal uh, Punishment, they did like, the inverse. So like PS One, Eternal Punishment came here, and then for PSP, only Innocent Sin came here. So yeah, I, yeah, I wonder what was up with that. <laughs> I hate this. I hate that. Yeah. So if you, if you want to play the official English releases, play the PSP version and then the PSX version, I guess. Um, but yeah, so um, Atlas has a great back catalog. I've played almost all of these games, and if the ones that I'd probably want to play again, I don't know, like Digital Devil Saga is not too long of a game compared to like some other RPGs of its time. And it's got a really interesting hook to it. So that's something I'd probably want to play again. Now, in terms of like, what games do I want remade? To be honest, I don't know if I want any of these to be I don't remade. want any of them to be remade. That's don't something. touch just Nocturne. Do not touch Nocturne. Just leave I it as it is, please. Yes. <laughs> I, I, like my heart will like drop if I ever see a remake. Uh, like the the term like in a headline like, like X game title remake from them. And like, yeah. oh, yeah. actually, you know what's kind of you know what's actually kind of funny about Nocturne? Mm -hmm. It was already it like uh, even way back when we got the second version of the game. Yes, in we, did. we got, we got the Dante version. Yes, and <laughs> it, it, it some people actually criticized some of the additions to it. Like people normally criticize Atlas additions to their games. I think the the like, the Labyrinth of Candelabra. I forgot what it's called in Nocturne. Oh, the Labyrinth of Amala. Amala, yeah, that's right. That or was like an edition. They they have two different. There's two different names for it. It's like the Karnas, the Kalmas, Kalmas. God, yeah, something, something like that. It's like the Labyrinth of Amala, of Amala but the the Kalmas, like Kalpas. In in know. general, I feel like whenever I see like. <laughs> well, on a let me Twitter let me finish my thought. Let me finish my thought. So okay, in Nocturne, one of the endings you can get is called the True Demon ending. 
and that's actually a new addition yes. that wasn't in the original version of the game. It's and I know a lot of people have an addition. And I know a lot of people actually criticize that ending because it sort of trivializes like the other four that are available because it's a longer there's more game. Yeah, yeah the, now it. these endings are incomplete, like non-actual endings. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I, I just think it's kind of it amusing that like them. even 15 years ago, we were, we were already dealing with like, this is a re-released Atlas game. We just didn't know it because that's the version we got. Uh, <laughs> we got the Maniacs edition and that, that but that wasn't included. Of, of, their, of their recent releases, I actually didn't mind the additions to Strange Journey because basically it's just like more maps and they are good, I think. Just like, okay, like just more dungeon maps in a dungeon crawler that were pretty good. Although the story stuff itself is just kind of like superfluous. But I didn't, yeah, mind, I I didn't mind the re-release of Soul Hackers. That was largely yeah. the same. Was, I so. didn't play the second version. In general, whenever I see on a Twitter thread or a forum post about like what games you want remade, I almost always, 95% of the time, like, I don't really need a remake. Just give it a touch-up. Give it, make, make it play nice on modern consoles and modern computers. And, like, for instance, we talked very briefly about that rumor for a, a nice little Republic remake. And for me, I'm like, like I, I mentioned this earlier, I think good game design is a good game design. And maybe you could touch up for modern sensibilities or whatever you want to word it. But, like, give me something that just makes the original experience, you know, convenient to play whether it's a disc in my ps5 or a, a new update on steam or whatever like i don't know if i need something that's shiny and new and and then at potentially compromise that's always where the other shoe is like something that's added that you think invalidates an interesting or good part of the game or something that you think makes it actually worse where you actually prefer the original so when i see something like this where it's like which of these do you want remade and like for instance, like the games on here, I haven't played all of them. Like Adam has, but I've played like the Devil the the Devil Summoner games, uh, or sorry, Devil Survivor games, and like maybe those would be kind of cool remade. But I don't know if I want them remade. Like Devil Survivor is not actually one of the, on those. Yeah, list. actually, I, I think I don't think any. Oh, of them it's not. No, no, uh, those those are the ones I actually like the most. But uh, yeah. even those have kind of like their. Um, like they, they already the, have the three, the three, the three DS versions have an extra yeah. chapter to them, and that chapter yep. kind of feels disjointed because it attaches. Like we're gonna add this yeah. last seventh of a story that feels like it could have ended the chapter before because at, at one point originally did. So all right, I guess that's not even on the list. Uh, I guess I'll say like, f f um, like Shin Megami Tensei four because that already got like, well. So Persona three uh, has often been sort of spotlighted for this topic for pretty obvious reason is that persona 3 just like a lot of other atlas games did get a re-release already on well i got two <laughs> jeez atlas loves their re-releases so right. there's persona 3 then there's persona 3 fes which came out like a year later so like yeah they didn't take they didn't wait very long to re-release it on ps2 and the fes version added most notably it might have added a couple of other small things but it added most notably the answer basically epilogue series it's more like a pure dungeon crawler in a persona skin um i actually like it i know a lot of people don't like it but i actually like it um but then they re-released it on playstation portable and that one added the most notable addition of a female protagonist and along with that like more social links with um and the ability it? to control your other party members yeah, oh, yeah that too also with the concessions of like uh having there's no anime than... scenes and there's yeah. no exploration yeah. What's his name? What's the bit. what's the hoodie guy's name? Not the hoodie, the beanie. Um, oh man, Akiko's buddy. Uh, yeah. Uh, shoot. 
I forgot his name. So not Sojiro. Uh, I'd forgotten. But either way, I like I'm looking over at this Shinjiro. Kinjiro, that's right. I'm looking over but at this anyways, uh, go go for it. Finish your thought. Basically, there is no obvious like best version of Persona 3. So it'd be Persona 3 in this topic has sort of been a spotlight because like they could make a best version where it's like have the exploration of Persona 3 FES, add the epilogue of Persona 3 FES with the anime scenes from that. Also include the female protagonist option and the other social links from the portable version. And, and they, want the character, they want the character models, models of the Persona dancing. Yeah, yeah like, why not <laughs> add those in? Uh, so, um, so yeah, that, that's something that a lot of people are looking into, or, or not looking into, but hopeful for. But even actually um, when Atlas, this is actually kind of, this is actually brought up at the Atlas uh, event I went to this week. Um, when Atlas changed their name from Atlas USA to Atlas West. Still weird. I don't get used to it. Yeah, a fake account was made uh-huh. for Atlas West where the where the, where the uh, L is actually a capital I, you know, uh, text, text right. faking it. And yeah. they actually made a fake tweet that was, Persona 3 Remake is coming next year. <laughs> they, got, <laughs> they got a lot of traction. Of course. Because <laughs> people want it. That's yeah, I look understandable. But also, when you, if I look at the survey and it's like listing down all the systems you want to play it on, you should probably crock, uh, check PSVR, smartphone with sub P service, and Stadia. That's it. Yep. So <laughs> those are the platforms I want. And I guess yeah, they have to, to t- tether this into the uh, yeah, and Steam as well to tether this into the previous conversation about because Atlas games <laughs> are not on PC. Well, at least not on Western PC yeah. modern games. I mean, I don't know Catherine technically, but that's like a free yeah. game. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, but the thing that, about that Catherine is weird. It's because, because it's not the, it's not, it's just the original Catherine on Steam. Yep. It's not uh, full body. body, even yeah. though it released like I remember, within the same window. So when we posted this story, there was a, some, there was some uh, like negative tweets, replies to it, like, atlas getting our hopes up and i guess that's maybe part of it but also like if you just look at their catalog atlas releases re-releases stuff all the time so i don't think it's remotely like impossible that any of these could be re-released like no people think catherine was going to get (laughs) re-released you know it's just yeah they do this sometimes (laughs) i think they do it but i think people are feel burned because it's it's very noticeable that they they're obviously they're it's almost dipping their toes into into Steam now, but still uh, very kind of. Oh yeah, like I wouldn't worry. Not not worried about any of these. To... Yeah, I wouldn't expect they're, these to come to Steam. Like they're, they're hesitating. Obviously, yeah. there, there's a there, there's a weird vibe that you come from them when it comes to PC releases of them. When it comes to you know other platform releases, I I, I can see them coming to Switch in some capacity. I, I think the writing. I think the, I think the writing is yeah. on the wall because when you think when you think about. Uh, their target audience, especially you know, from the developers of this game, they're based in Japan. They usually, you know, craft all these games for a Japanese audience. And what's the popular system right now in Japan? It used to be the uh, DS, 3DS, and now the Switch. You know, when they mm-hmm. when they see when they see how they can expand sales and uh, increase their awareness of their brands and IP, like I think it's well, yeah, they're off. releasing they're re- release, they're releasing releasing Switch, and it's all yeah, it's all releasing all Persona Five Scramble on Switch. Yeah. The yeah. sequel to yeah. Persona 5 with that cheeky Persona 5 2 in that uh, trailer. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then obviously the, like the demo for that I came out to, in Japan and some people have I know, need to play that play, demo. Imported like, that uh, people it. are and saying it's yeah. People are yeah. saying that demo is actually really interesting and 
I, I think that like especially recently, like Koei Tecmo has been getting a lot more uh what's the right word? They've been a lot more creative with uh Muso spin-offs of games. Like uh Fire Emblem Warriors, like I've kept saying that I think it's a legitimately one of the best games on Switch and that the only major issue with it is the kind of so-so like roster, but like especially recently, it feels like a lot of those sorts of Warriors spinoffs for like fran- um, franchises have been a lot more interesting than you would expect. So I'm really interested to see how the full version of uh, P5S. Hacks it's just out. very cool how Omega Force has certainly been taking steps to evolve their core gameplay. Yeah, they're, like, trying to, they're trying to. They're trying their best. Well, Koei Tecmo in general, like it, it feels like they're a bit of an unsigned these days. Because like you look at Gust, like they released three Atelier games last year. They're yeah. working on Fairy Tale that's releasing this year. They've been doing ports of previous games. You have like Koei Tecmo. They did Dragon Quest Builders too. They did Fire Emblem Three Houses. They've been doing yeah, all of these part. like um, Warriors games. They're working on Neo too. It's like holy shit they're they're like just a powerhouse right now and i don't yeah. think people really talk about that and that, that, that's even like uh like this like not even uh thinking about like uh, like the smaller more niche titles like nobunaga's ambition and whatnot as well yeah it's cool it's and another 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 idea that comes to mind when talking about these atlas ports is that like some of these games are available as digital titles on playstation 3 like the digital Devil Saga games are, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if the Devil Summoner ones are. I know the Devil, I know DDS is for sure, but like, it just kind of sucks that like a lot of the games that are available digitally, like they were brought and ported to a modern platform at one point, the PlayStation Three. Uh, they weren't ported. Like they're they're it's literally emulation. Well, that's what. I, well, that's all I really need, you know. Yeah. Um, but it just kind of sucks that it's just like stuck on that platform. And you can't access those on a PlayStation 4. And there's, I have so many digital PS3 games, like whether they're a PlayStation 3 game or like a, a more of a classic game, like PlayStation 2 or PlayStation 1, that are just stuck on the console. Yep, I booted and, up a PS3 just recently to practice Gundam, you know. I'd see all those games stuck there. I'm like, hi. And I, I, feel, I feel similarly for like the Wii Virtual Console. I have a bunch of classic Nintendo games that are like on Super Nintendo or whatever. And it's just, you know, because it seems like the popular thing now are those novelty consoles, the, um, you know, like the minis or Nintendo has like a subscription now where you now don't buy the games, you buy a subscription to access a selection. Mm-hmm. It just, that's kind of bums me out. Like I have, I still have my Wii picked up and I have, you know, a bunch of Wii games, a bunch of virtual console games and a handful of Wii U games. And it's just kind of like I have a bunch of digital games on that console, and it's just like I I have to keep that console up to access. Well, it. at some point though, that kind of ends up going to the the platform holders to like provide that cross gen yeah, exactly. compatibility, whether it's like emulating again just on the PS5 within some sort of virtual environment. All right, so here PS3 we go. Let's hedge yeah. our bets again for PS5 supporting full backwards compatibility for PS1, two, three, and so on. <laughs> I think that if they if if that's something <laughs> so, yeah. that they can headline, whatever their announcement is, whether it's in March or whenever, because everyone's kind of sitting. On I, I will buy that uh, that fucking system, even with no new launch games. I will buy that uh, that fucking system day zero if they announce that. 
no question. They say your your digital PS3 games are now playable on your PS5. That's crazy. Uh, I'm I'm there. I, I mean, that would be cool, and I do think there is a possibility that there's at least some PlayStation 3 backwards compatibility. Like, frankly, like our PCS3 has come a long way, and it shows that you can emulate PS3 on modern like modern CPUs. Not even that difficult, depending on the game. But on the flip side, I don't think that would be a selling point for me because I, I mean, I, I keep saying this, like the only time I boot up my PS3 these days is to make backups for me to emulate on PC. <laughs> yeah, yeah but so uh, I guess, on, I guess the, the thing is though, is that if they make that ease of access where it's just like, hey, you have it on yeah. PS3, yeah. You, you play it on PS5. That would just, I think if that's something that they headline, obviously with whatever titles they announce with it, but if that's like the hardware okay. headline, or I guess more like sure. the ecosystem headline, I think that's something that could go a long way. Uh, All right, guess, let's say again, let's say in our, in our fantasy world here, just just one final question, in our fantasy world, if they were to announce that full BC compatibility thing, whatever, for PS5, what would be the first disc you pop into it? Um, Just to see, I, does this actually work? Uh, 3D Dot Game Heroes, because it still has crashing issues on RPC 3. Mm. Oh man, I love that game. Sorry, let me show. Digimon World 2 for the PS1. Oh fuck. Oh, that's real. Because the reason why I bring that up is because that was my first experience with any sort of cross-gen compatibility in, in its very mm. earliest stages, because the PS2 could play PS1 games, obviously. But you had to have a PS1 memory card, and I remember buying that game oh, yeah. at a friend's house, and I knew I could play it on a PS2, but I couldn't save it for like until I mm -hmm. found a PS1 memory card. So I, I had forgot to like, about the memory restart cards not over. Being compatible. Yeah, remember remember memory cards? I have like a silly like nostalgic thing where if I could find that disc, pop it in my PS5, play it, and save it, I'd be like, look how far we. This go. is the best thing ever. <laughs> God, I would put. So my answer to the question is, I would put in the original Dragon Guard because I own it on PS2 and I haven't played it. So it'd be nice if I could play it on something that's not a PS2. Is your PS2 hooked oh. up? Yes. Oh, so, so you don't even need that. You can you could, you could take oh, your plug out. There you go. I have it hooked up out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking right, at this uh, PS... Well, I already gave my answer. I was just going to say, right, like, I've been looking at this PS2 that I like brought with me when I moved into this new apartment. Like, been sitting on this one shelf, not plugged in the entire time, and I've been here for almost a full year now. <laughs> I would plug in this little niche PS2 game that maybe five people in the world have, have played called Bujingai the Forsaken City. It uh, stars everyone's pop idol, Gact, um, and it's him being very Final beautiful and sexy. Yes, and uh, just him uh, beating down demons that had a really stupidly flashy. Um, Battle system, it's kind of, it kind of um, is reminiscent of uh, those. Uh, I think it was Taiwan or Korean puppet doll shows that are like, that rely on very flashy effects these days to, to get by, but they're they're really well made. But um, it's it's one of those games that like no, it's not like amazing, but man, my my mind was just blown. I'm like, oh, you can actually make games look really pretty like this, and I'm dumb. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> Oh, uh, that's that, that'll be fun. Whatever happens, right, so it's a new Atlas remake on maybe PS5, maybe Steam, Stadia. I know we're all itching to Stadia. Hell yeah! Power <laughs> of the cloud. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. I'm gonna play Baldur's Gate three on Stadia just to do it. I, the the the, right. the the big omission here on the on the systems on the survey is there's no mention of Microsoft platforms at all. Yeah, like Stadia is mentioned, but Xbox is not. Yeah, I think it's Xbox weird. it's on its way because there's the um, rumors for the other, for the earlier Kingdom Hearts games. There's the uh, mm-hmm. Yakuza games coming to Game well, Pass. One of the, the rumors is also is is that uh, Series X should actually have support for like PC games directly. So that'd be crazy. Um, also, like the wonderful one on one Kickstarter still has no stretch goal for Xbox One. I wonder all. why. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I, I, that's I mean, yeah, 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 scale yeah, bound. Scale bound. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's still feels a little bit bad. Them would be that might be the reason why, but just the assumption. Yeah. Right. So I think that's wrapping down our discussion about what Atlas or other older games would like to see playable on modern systems, whether it's through emulation or a remake. Uh, and that kind of wraps up this week's edition of the Tetracast. We actually had quite a bit to talk about, despite it being a slower month, which makes me kind of nervous for what to expect in like April. And we actually have a whole bunch to talk about on top of everything else. It's always easy to kind of go at length to hear what you guys are talking about with your um your experiences with uh, you know with concerts and your events uh, that you get to see these games uh, with the publishers and devs and the voice actors and what we've been playing as research in case of Adam's you know experience with Baldur's Gate or just new stuff if like for instance I get into Damon X Machina when it releases next week uh so obviously this was our fourth weekly edition of the tetracast we're going to keep trying to do this every week if at all possible uh you can always find us on twitter at rpg site uh we do have a youtube channel at rpg site net which james just put up some gameplay from cold steel 3 you can also find our discord i think the easiest way to get to that would just be through the link on our homepage at the moment uh and then obviously you can find the tetracast on itunes and google play I think uh, the powers that be are working to get it to Spotify, but it's not there yet. But we're, we're, we're looking into it because we've heard a few people mention that they'd like to be able to download uh, through that. Um, you can find me at Zio Masicot on Twitter, Z-E-O-M-A-S-S-I-C-O-T. I'm pretty quiet. Uh, Josh, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me at, at HD Kieran. It's filled with terrible, terrible stuff. Don't follow me. But at the same Featured time, on lots of Gundam. <laughs> oh, yeah, also there. There you go. Adam, where can they find you? On Twitter at K-I-N-G underscore S-E-D-A. And James? As always, you can find me at T-H-E-S-W-W-E-E-T. All right. And obviously, if you've listened to us, please give us a comment on our page or on our Twitter. We love to read those and take any feedback you're willing to give us. And we will be back next week. Who knows what we'll be able to get into, whether it be more uh, Fantasy Star Online impressions, more Baldur's Gate, or who we'll just have to wait and see. So as always, you'll hear from us. Uh, at this time next week. See you then.